Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Welcome, Auburn, into the Thursday edition of Sports Call Live on Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. My name is Ryan LaVoy. Today, I've got Brooks Childress and T.P. Hammock with me for the full three-hour show. As again, reminder, I know I said earlier in the week we would be having a shorter show today, but Borgard Basketball moved that game that they were supposed to have today back into the month of January, actually. And so we have a full three-hour show today and tomorrow. And on today's show, we're going to have Cole Pinkston, at 4.30, as he will give us all the latest on the recruiting and transfer portal world. We've already been talking a lot of transfer portal in the last couple days because guess what? Every day, including today, there's a couple more big-name quarterbacks that hit the market. So we'll tell you about the latest on those. So, again, we'll have Cole Pinkston of On3 and Auburn Live with us today to talk all things portal and recruiting as, again, National Signing Day being on December 20th, the early period, is just three weeks away. So we'll talk about all that with Cole. We'll also review last night's successes in Auburn basketball as they were able to defeat Virginia Tech in Neville Arena by a score of 74-57. A productive night for the Tigers that we'll get into in this show. And uh, we'll also, as this is a Thursday, talk some NFL as another week gets set for tonight or gets set to kick off tonight. And it's actually a pretty good game tonight, Seahawks-Cowboys. So we'll talk a little bit about that one and the rest of the NFL slate this weekend and maybe have a little bit of time for some other uh, college football topics as well, Uh, maybe some more playoff discussion as we get nearer and nearer uh, to the big-time conference championship games. Again, if you want to give us a phone call today on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line, 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free one triple eight nine Tiger Nine. Ryan Brooks and TP with you here on this Thursday edition of the program. We'll start with you, TP. I hope your day has been well so far. Good to talk to you again, sir. Good to be on here as always for a Thursday edition of Sports Call. Got some good NFL games this week. Uh, you know, yesterday or on Tuesday, helped out with uh, the Beauregard basketball game, running the board, and then yesterday ran the board, took uh, all of our callers' uh, phone calls and put them on the air. But uh, today I'm doing well. Good good slate of basketball last night. Getting more into that college basketball sphere now as the uh, college football season is slowly coming to an end. It went by so quick. You know, we're not that far from the off season, which is very sad. Yes, but, it is. But – but that's okay, and so we'll get on to that. But, uh, yeah, I'm doing really well getting uh, ready to talk to some of our callers. Yeah, we got the conference championship games this weekend, and then we got bowl games, and that's it. And there was actually a bowl game announced today. Uh, was it Hawaii and Liberty? No, Hawaii. No, it was the Hawaii Bowl. Hawaii Bowl. 
and I don't remember. I, who I know who it was. It was uh, Coastal Carolina and San Jose State. There you go. So again, a, a deep breakdown. Mark your calendars. <laughs> yeah, deep breakdown of that one. Although Grace McCall and the portal out of Coastal Carolina, but uh, so yeah, already starting to get a leak or two of bowl action, and of course Sunday will be the day uh, that they'll rank do the final playoff rankings therefore do the playoff new year six and then all the bowls will officially get filled brooks childress also on the show today brooks and tp were doing the high school coaches show last night the uh, next to last of the year and that was good stuff as always brooks how are you today i am great it feels like it's been a while since i've uh, spoken into a microphone during the sports call hours um uh, and it's uh it's good to be back uh technically it was uh it's been over a week since i've uh since i've been on sports call so lot to uh lot to uh get uh get going here today uh i had a great thanksgiving for the sports call listeners out there <laughs> um as we're now officially a week past thanksgiving this is actually a week ago right now you know finishing up thanksgiving dinner in the middle of the afternoon so it's uh it, it was good it, i had some good time off there but uh you know yeah like tp said good slate of basketball last night um, you got another uh, pretty decent slate tonight with the the women's side of things picking up the ACC SEC challenge. They started it last night a little bit. You got a couple premier matchups tonight. South Carolina, North Carolina is tonight. Virginia Tech, Los Shoes tonight. Of course, Auburn uh, takes on Clemson tonight here locally. And so it's uh, there's a lot of different a uh, lot of good stuff going on right now in the world of basketball. I uh, can't wait to talk about that. Can't wait to dive into some portal talk because who doesn't like talking about the transfer portal? Uh, and then, uh, yeah, can't wait to uh, to get to all of our callers and uh, get to uh, get to some of our guests today too. Right, and so we're we're going to get to Auburn basketball here in just a moment for sure. I want to go ahead and start uh, with the latest update on more portal rumblings, uh, both to do with Auburn and then just kind of general quarterbacks hitting the the portal uh, some more. Uh, so we'll start with, again, we've talked the last couple of days about potential fits for Auburn, guys that they would be interested in, and Riley Leonard's name has come up a lot. I said yesterday, and I still feel that way, even knowing the, the heightened interest there, that I still would put him closer towards the bottom uh, of the group of five or six guys that we've talked about so far, the likes of Cam Ward, Will Howard, uh, and, and that sort of thing. I, I'm somewhere in the middle uh, of the group, I guess. But the news yesterday was that he put he, get, he put his name in the portal and he put the do not contact on there, which usually means he's already either picked a school or has two options, three options. But like he again, it's not he's not. He's already kind of been tampered with, basically. I'm just going to pull the bandit off. He's been tampered with already. And the feeling is is that it is Notre Dame or Auburn for Riley Leonard, uh, the, the Fairhope product, played the last couple of years at Duke. Uh, and, and so I don't know which way it will go. I think the feeling is that it leans Notre Dame, and we'll see if that ultimately becomes uh, his destination. But beyond that, there have still been more names hitting the portal. And again, I'm not going to promise you that they're all going to be Auburn targets. They're not all um, going to be something that every every single big school looks at. But again, real names. Again, freshman at UCLA, Dante Moore, who started five games this year, was a five-star player coming to UCLA last year. He hit the portal 40 minutes ago. That's even with Chip Kelly remaining 
at UCLA a few hours ago at Oregon State. DJ Uyangale back in the portal. Had a really successful year with Oregon State. Uh, was much better than, or seemed to be much better than he was at Clemson. Uh, and he's hitting the portal. So you have uh, now more instances of guys. And, you know, I guess with Uyangale, he, I mean, this being his second transfer, I assume that. Uh, it's because he's graduating that he's going to get the get the second transfer in. But you know that's on the heels of yesterday learning about Grayson McCall. Uh, you know KJ Jefferson's out there. Will Rogers is out there. The list goes on and on. So you guys, you have not been on the show yet this week. Kind of power rank some of those options if you're Auburn and you're looking in the portal and you have your pick of five, six, seven different guys. Uh, how do you feel that you might want to rank some of those? Um, so, you know, you, you look at some of the names that are in there, it, obviously, you know, I, I've, I've said this off the air and so obviously haven't said it on the air, uh, but I'm a, uh, I'm, I would not hate the Riley Leonard, uh, at Auburn mainly because he's a two, five, one guy and I'm a two, five, one guy. So I'd, I'd like to see that, but in, you know, in, in realistic, uh, you know, you're looking at things, um, I would really Really be interested in Will Howard. Uh, I think he's a he's a guy that's been a proven commodity at, at uh, Kansas State. A, a very uh, very high profile offense uh, that they've got going on out there. I, I, you know the that's a that's an offense. Well, the last two coaches uh, you go uh, you look at there have run a style of offense that has had the the quarterback run a little bit more, and Will Howard's one of those guys that can run a little bit more. Um, and so I, I really like uh, like that. Uh, I don't know if I would I would uh, be interested in uh, in DJ Uyunglele. Um Grayson Cole obviously was a guy that was talked about a lot last year uh, with uh, when he was in the portal last year and then ended up going back to uh, to Coastal Carolina. Um, you know he's 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 a guy that you you look at and. Uh, you know, you, you start to see that maybe it was, you know, he's still a good quarterback. I don't want to say that, but he's still a, a good quarterback. But he's a guy that maybe was very much benefiting from that Jamie Chadwell uh, offense that, that he had because uh, Coastal Carolina kind of took a step back this year um, and it, it, it with Jamie Chadwell gone. And so, you you know, maybe the maybe some of the shine is worn off on Grace McCall now because uh, you see that. Um, but I, I'd be interested in, in a guy like Cameron Ward as well. You saw him put up some good numbers at Washington State. Uh, but, you know, and I, I'll tell you this. here I'll, I'll go with this approach too. Um, if Hugh Freeze is confident, if, if Hugh Freeze likes what he sees from, has been seeing in practice uh, from a Holden Gurner, and obviously he likes uh, the, uh, the quarterback he's bringing in with Walker White, uh, if if you're confident in those two guys, and you you know you you like what you've seen from some development with Peyton Thorn, uh, a, a high profile uh, transfer quarterback may not be where where Auburn goes with it. They may go and get somebody that can come in and uh, you know challenge a little bit and you know push a little bit and be a suitable backup. But if, if you're if you freeze you know all the talk and leading into the end of this year about Holden Gurner how he's really improved and he continues to grow if. If you're really confident in, in you know what you've got in the quarterback room, some of these high-profile guys uh, may not be Auburn's biggest targets in the portal. Slash, if you know some of the some of the portal guys see that talk, they may not be as interested in coming to Auburn at the end of the day. So, 
my opinion is I, I would love for Auburn to go big game hunting on this, but I know that Dante Moore is probably going to go to a really big program like Oregon or somewhere out there on the West Coast. I know he's from Michigan, but he was committed to Oregon before he signed with UCLA. So it wouldn't surprise me at all. Bo Nix is leaving after this year if they if they got him back. And I think that's fair. I think Dante Moore is going to be a really good football player with that system. I would really like Auburn to go after Will Howard. I've been really impressed. I was stunned to see his name pop into the portal because he's he was so good with Kansas State. And Kansas State doesn't have a lot of talent around them, but they were always in football games. They rarely got blown out of the water, especially with Will Howard under center there. And he's just a really good talent. I really like what he does. I'm really I'm a big fan of Grayson McCall. I think that was more on Tim Beck, their head coach at Coastal Carolina. I think they were a lot worse than they were without Jamie Chadwell. I think that just goes down to Tim Beck used to be the offensive coordinator for Ohio State in 2015 where we couldn't score a point with any of our really good players. So I, I have some strong feelings towards Tim Beck. But I think Grayson McCall would be really good in this system with Hugh Freeze. I think that RPO style would translate over well with uh, – with that system that it's not the same as Jamie Chadwell's, but it's very similar. And I feel like that'd be a really good get for Auburn is Grayson McCall or Will Howard. But I have a feeling that Will Howard's services are going to be needed a lot. And uh, there's a lot of good linemen in the portal as well. I know a lot of people were very, it was very hit or miss with the line this year. There were some times where they looked really good and there were some times where they didn't look that good. And if you want to go after, there are some really, really talented group of five and even power five linemen in the portal this, uh, this round. And, uh, I think Auburn, one last thing, I think Auburn really needs to go after the cornerback position because I know they had a lot of seniors there. And even uh, safety, you know, Jalen Simpson was a senior, DJ James was a senior, Nehemiah Pritchett was a senior. So I don't think that would be a bad idea at all. To Instead of like last year where they really overhauled the wide receiver position, albeit it didn't turn out the best, it was still a good idea. I think I'd like to see them do something like that with the cornerback room. Yeah, at some point today uh, we need to go over – and go ahead and clarify for everyone before this gets too much into the the portaling world and off season landscape of everybody uh, that cannot return to Auburn because there are about fifteen or so guys that are are completely out of eligibility and it can be confusing to some some that obviously. Uh, are not technically out because of COVID, will still want to be out because they'll go to the Senior Bowl or, or draft or whatever, or portal, whatever. Uh, but but I uh, need to give you the list a little bit later of all the guys that do not have uh, any more uh, eligibility. So we'll, we'll go over that a little bit later too. But for now, let's go to the Orthopedic Clinic phone line for the first time today, 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free, 1-888-9-TIGER-9. First up on the show today, Anthony from Auburn. Anthony is with us. Anthony, how are you today? Doing good. How about you guys? Doing well. Yeah, there's a lot of portal talk and people moving around. You know, y'all mentioned some names. Uh, I think Oregon State player. Uh, was a deep, was a defensive player or the offensive player? Because the two brothers. Oh, uh, yeah, no, the the offensive player, DJ Uyangale, that's the Oregon State player. And then his brother plays at Oregon. He's, he is the defensive okay. player. That's, yeah. right. that's right, yeah, because yeah. I saw them in the, in the game. You know, uh, when you're talking about players like that, they've been high profile on their own teams, uh, standing out like a, a sore thumb, if you want to uh, say. Uh, so you wonder, uh, when you transfer like that, are they looking to, uh, uh, I mean, is it more NIL money, or are they want to get with a team that's going to be in the playoffs perhaps next year, give them a chance at winning a conference title, or a shot at probably winning the national championship goal, or or is it somebody that it can develop even further than what they already are? So I, I just wonder, you know, when you got those kind of players that are doing great where they are, as far as individual performance or whatnot, uh, you know. But uh, 
this uh, portal window, how long is it? Did the player got a cha- uh, uh, opportunity to transfer or whatnot before it closes and they can't transfer in- until the uh, spring? I-, I believe it is well into um, into twenty twenty three, maybe February or March. So the uh, the right. the NCAA t- has two transfer portal windows. You've got the one after spring practice from April fifteenth to the thirtieth, and then this one that's about to come up here is a long one. And, and yeah. Hugh Freeze talked about it earlier this week. Does not like how long it is. It's a, almost a month, December fourth oh, okay. through January second. Yeah, so end of end of January. I'm sorry, I got a little too too ahead of myself there, but yeah, January oh. end of January. All right. Well, I want to ask y'all a question. Now, let's, let's say you got a player that's trying to make his mind up. Uh, we're talking about somebody that's actually doing really well where he at. Now, there ain't nobody that did this growing because he ain't getting no playing time or whatnot. So let's say he stay with his team right now and go through the bowl game and everything and then misses that deadline or whatnot, but classes hadn't started yet, decided to, to withdraw from school and go enroll somewhere else, and since he got NIL money, he paid for his own dime, on his own dime, you know. So if he leaves after that deadline – it could be two days or whatever it be, or three or a week. But uh, enroll somewhere else. If he enrolls somewhere else on his own dime and already forfeited a scholarship at the other school, then uh, will he be able to participate in spring practice at the new school? Uh, that is a good question. Uh, that is a potential loophole. Um, I don't think the NCAA would have thought of it that way because they would not have thought a player could make enough money to do that on their own dime. But now, obviously... Uh, if yeah. they're uh, if they're any sort of recruit or, or half decent name, they could. Um, you know, I I would think that there would need some, still some sort of waiver or clearance from the NCAA. I have no idea how the NCAA and their ever confusing uh, standards would 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 what rule on that. But I I think that would be a potential loophole because if you're paying your own way, as you said, yes, you would have missed that portal window. You would have to not be getting the scholarship from your old school, which, of course, under your scenario, they would not. Uh, and so I, I think that as long as they were taken off the scholarship, that they, they might become eligible there, and then they would – but maybe the NCAA would say they'd have to wait till that April window uh, to, to put, in the, uh, put their name officially on another roster. I, I'm not sure how right. they would quantify that actual roster transaction. But from an academic standpoint, as long as the grades were in good standing, then sure. the NCAA couldn't, couldn't bar them that way, right? Sure, yeah. No, they, it wouldn't be okay. academically, no. So if they participated in, in maybe in a spring conditioning program, they probably could do that, but just couldn't do anything for a spring practice. And we had to wait to after that part to be officially, official, like you said, on the roster there. Then right, right, I yeah. No, I, I don't think. Oh. Yeah, I, I don't think they'd have any problem with working out. Obviously, you can't. You can't really monitor that. But yeah, organized team practices. I would not think they'd be allowed to. But but I tell you, you know, uh, with some players, uh, some of the top players anyway, that coaches are depending on going to these, some of these bowl games. Cause, you know, you want to win your bowl game because that sets the tone going into the off-season workout, uh, strength and conditioning program, and building towards next year to go out and actually win your bowl game. But with a lot of players opting out or whatnot, and uh, decided to, uh, well, some for pros, well, we understand that if, if you know if you got a legitimate shot. But, you know, the other guys that are looking at other schools uh, or whatnot, uh, you know, that's going to hurt a lot of teams uh, – going to these bowl games in some ways. But then in some ways, you know, you can look at your younger talent and bring it in and uh, practice those guys more and, start, and develop them. So I, I guess uh, either way you look at it, it, it can be good on one hand and bad on the other. Yeah, I mean, it, it's all about managing your expectations. And I can tell you a way it backfired. Uh, think of the uh, next to last year of Dan Mullen. He played in that New Year's Six Bowl. They had just lost uh, the, the conference uh, or just lost out in the conference title. They, they did not play any of their players they played a bunch of their 
their younger guys in that bowl game got destroyed. And then the next year, they had an awful year, and he got fired. So he right. he, he kind of didn't value the opportunity to play in a New Year's Six, which I, I understand you want to make the playoff. That's the biggest goal. But a New Year's Six is still an excellent bowl game. Uh, they didn't take it seriously, and then it bled into the next year, and he had an awful year, and he was fired. I wonder, you know, uh, a lot of the national wars, they're going to start awarding some of these wars, especially Heisman, the week after the uh, – a championship game is that correct? Uh, yeah. uh so they the, that, yeah. yeah, voting is due the the Saturday night or Sunday after the conference championship game. So basically, the next day it's due, uh, and then the ceremony is usually what what uh, during in the middle of bowl season is it like oh, early it's bowl the, season? It's the week after. It's usually Army Navy weekend. Okay, so it's the very next yeah. week. Right. Okay, okay, yeah. No, so it's voting's due the day after the conference championship game, and then it's a week later. And then, you know, some of the other wars, like the Buckers Award and all that, they'll start giving out some of those wars, too. But I was wondering if they would delay those awards, maybe to uh, after all the bowl games are played, before they give out those awards and, and let the bowl games tally in on some people's decisions, then maybe some of these top players might would stay around uh, uh, instead of opting out uh, the bowl games. What are you guys' thoughts on that? Uh, if they if they would wait till the awards. Say, say that last part one more time. If, if they would wait till after the bowl season's over with, with – Giving out any national award, and uh, if they wait it, then some of these guys that sure. uh, would probably opting out for these bowl games that are up for these awards might would stay around because uh, you know they're not going to vote until after the bowl game. So maybe that might sway them to stay around and go ahead and go through the bowl thing. You know that would be interesting. I, I think that some people unfortunately just make up their minds too you know early. I mean, we we kind of feel that way in Heisman sometimes. Like some people will watch eight or nine games and say oh yeah no he's the Heisman guy and then the narrative starts and it gets really hard to beat the narrative even if if some guy comes on so I'm not sure if we would really get the type of environment where people would uh would actually penalize someone for skipping out in the bowl game like I think they'd feel that 12 games in the regular season uh and maybe 13 if you're in the conference title game would be enough to judge someone and they would not really really wait you know i mean like i, I think that would be a right. nice idea in the- theory but i just wouldn't right. think voters would put enough stock into it yeah but it would maybe it might help uh help that problem i think it probably would you know just to try to help it out a little bit maybe they did went that route with it yeah no, know, i could see it if, to see you know if it actually if it actually proved to start to take away some awards from people i do think those players would would value that and then and then start to play, but I'm just not again. Like I said, my, yeah. I think the hesitation would be on the voter side to actually penalize the player for that. Yeah, I guess so. Then, but guys, I appreciate it and everything, and I'll be calling y'all Monday. And we'll talk about all these championship games. I think Bo Nix is on tomorrow night, Friday night, right? Yes, sir. That's the Pac-12. Yes, sir. Yeah, we'll see how that rolls out and, and everything. You know, it would be nice if he. What, what are they? They number six or? Yeah, Washington uh, is four and Oregon six, and I think Florida what? State's five. Yeah. You know, it would be nice to see if both could get in that playoffs. I tell you, and just actually see what he could do. Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, I, I think that it would be would be fascinating, and I and they are the favored team, even though they lost to Washington the first time. So that is that is the anticipated outcome. Wouldn't that be something if he won the Heisman and then and got in the playoffs and won the national championship too? <laughs> uh, that'd be that'd be something else. And yeah, he they are they are fifth right now, and Washington is third. By the way, I, I got oh. that wrong, but Oregon's five right now. Yep. Well, they got a really, really good chance, and if they go ahead and take care of business, they just about, I would say, almost in the, in that game there. Yeah. Well, depending on what everybody else does, we'll see how they shake out. But somebody's got to lose, you know what I mean? Somebody in that top four, five, somebody got to lose. 
I would think so, but we have been devoid of chaos so far this year, so only one more week to make it happen. You know, they was talking about that on uh, ESPN, had something, I think interview saving or whatnot, uh, this after, early this afternoon or whatnot, and they've come up with all the ways out they can get Alabama in. But Alabama, I mean, like I was telling a uh, friend of mine, Alabama's just too far down the totem pole. I mean, at number eight, just I mean, it's going to be hard to work a miracle. Even if they did beat number one Georgia, just they, I just don't see the leapfrog that far up unless a bunch of people lose, but we'll I, see how that works. Yeah, I just think that I think that I know it's eight spots, but I also think that they're all very tightly contested. What what kind of hurts us is that there's no you know in the AP votes they still give you a final point total so you can kind of see oh that right. that team's only like eight points ahead of that team the other team oh one team's a hundred points ahead we we don't have that with this human element with this committee element to it so uh, it, we it might be razor thin and, and that difference in Texas and Alabama in people's minds is very important if the, if if they're not gonna budge Texas period because they beat Alabama well then that's a big problem for Alabama but if Alabama can beat Georgia is going to make up people's minds that Alabama still deserves it more than Texas. If that's still a, a, a thought the committee has, then Alabama can jump them, and then that way they can get in the playoffs. So it's not uh, it's it's not. I don't know. Again, I don't think anyone really has an A plus foolproof answer for what the committee will actually do if everybody wins. Well, they certainly making a case for the uh, Southeast Conference, whether it be Georgia, Alabama that wins the championship game. They said they, they just didn't believe no way you could leave the Southeast Conference out. You know, they put a little chart up, and from uh, 2014 to now, when they started this particular uh, version of the uh, uh, playoffs or whatnot, uh, you know, they said, well, if you think about it, Alabama's won three times, uh, Georgia's won twice, LSU's won one time, and then other than Clemson and Ohio State, nobody else has won the national championship other than the Southeast Conference. Yep. During that time span, so they they so they were saying that there's there's no way you can leave a South Union Conference champion out, and they've dominated the uh, national championship games uh, over all these years. You know, so yeah, yeah. It, you know, it's been about four or five teams uh, that that have really dominated this thing, and I mean that's a decade worth of proof on, on it now. Well, guys, I certainly appreciate it, and I'll talk to y'all Monday. Yes, sir, Anthony. Sounds good. Appreciate right, the phone thanks. call. That is Anthony from Auburn joining us on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. Uh, yeah, the, the playoff conversation ever rages. Uh, the portal and NIL discussion ever rages. And, uh, you know, they may have found a loophole there. Again, the NCAA is apt to uh, close those loopholes whenever they can find them. But uh, I, I don't know uh, as far as the windows. You know, I, I, I said February just because that's when that second uh, wave of recruits get signed again that's not really uh it, it used to be the main one it's really not a, even a big one anymore it's it's a, a i don't want to say leftovers either you can have a couple of top 100 or 200 guys but really the whole party is in de- late december now and so uh but even even being a month you kind of allow for everyone to go through bowl season except for the playoff teams and and you know the thing about the portal is you can only jump in into the portal during those designated times. If you're in the portal, you can stay in the portal as long right. as you, you want. Right, you can decide way yeah. later. Yeah, and so you can you can get in there, and you can, even if you don't make your like if if you're on the fence, like Anthony was saying, you can still jump in, and then wait, 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 and then be like, all right, now I'm going to decide and, and jump out whenever you want to. Maybe that's what I was thinking because thinking of because I'm like, man, I feel like we still had portal news just 
every month uh, yeah. until August. Uh, so that's that's probably where that's in my head. But uh, yeah, good stuff right there. We're gonna go ahead and take our first time out of the show. When we come back, so we got to talk some Auburn basketball after their win last night against Virginia Tech. Also, more of your phone calls on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. You're listening to the Thursday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. To join our conversation, tweet us your thoughts on Twitter at SportsCallAU. I'm Britt Bowen, voice of Auburn women's basketball and Auburn softball. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9. Ryan Lavoy, Brooks Childress, TP Hammock with you here on this Thursday afternoon. Enjoy the dry today, uh, guys, because uh, I know some outdoor activities the next few days. Got high school football, semifinals tomorrow, and just another uh, late fall, early winter weekend, and uh, it's going to be raining all weekend. So uh, enjoy today. Do something outside today. While there's still time, or just wait till next week because it's not going to rain 12 straight days. <laughs> anyway, uh, just a change of the weather pattern on my mind uh, for sure. 334-887-3401 locally, toll free, one nine tiger 9 to call into the Orthopedic Clinic phone line today. We go back to the Orthopedic Clinic phone line now. Ward Damn Steve. Retire Ward Damn Steve is with us. Steve, how are you today? Very good, gentlemen. Thanks for taking my phone calls always. Yes, sir. And, uh, good to hear uh, not only your voice, but Brooks, and uh, it's been a while since uh, we've heard you, Brooks. Yeah, it has. Uh, is this anything related to your being married? Uh, is Grace have anything to do with this? <laughs> no, it's it's uh, just been a you had a uh, you had the Thanksgiving week last week. I was off for a little bit, and then uh, just the the way that the schedule fell this week with high school basketball and such. Okay, um, okay, so that's your story, and you're sticking to that. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. And TP is definitely good to. To see uh, who you are on today. You're always taking my phone calls and putting up with me, so thanks for that. All right, let's get to it, guys. Thank gosh we have Janiah Broom, right? Yeah, uh, he had a uh, large game last night, to say the least. 30 and 13, was that what it was? Yes, it was. Yeah, but thank gosh, I hope to gosh that we don't give too much ammunition uh, at the free throw line against our opponents and they keep starting to foul Janiah Broom. He was only I think it looked almost 62% last night. But then the rest of the team didn't do that well either. Uh, what happened with Dylan Cardwell last night, guys? I thought, you know, here we, we jinxed him. We talked about how he improved, and bam, there he goes. Well, remember, Steve, I also said I wanted to wait 
a little longer on him, right? I, I said it was not a, a big enough sample sample size. Well, to, you to know. waited long enough, didn't you? <laughs> um, you know, and look, I certainly hope that he shoots it well this year, but I just know that he was like a thirty six percent foul shooter last year and forty something the year before. Even if he got to sixty, I would be pleased because that was a, a good bit of improvement. So, uh, you know. I hope he can stay around 70, but the reality is that he is is not likely to make a 40, 30 to 40% difference uh, in one year. And so, yeah, no, he – again, I, I understand, uh, you know, sometimes teams are going to have big guys that are not going to be good free throw shooters. I mean, that, that sometimes that's just the dynamic of it. So you're, you're right on Broom and Cardwell. They did not have – Great nights. Broom was 61%, and to be fair, I mean, that's, again, that's where I expect him to be. That's just, it's hard for him to come off that line. But him and Cardwell combined for 10 out of 18. That means the rest of the team was 14 out of 18, and I'm just fine with that that number. I mean, that, that that's a that's a fair number. So uh, it, it is it is those guys that are going to be determining factors in Auburn's free throw number and, 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 quite honestly, weigh it down. And on the other hand, on the bright side, we actually, I think, maybe have a credible defense. 21 turnovers uh, for Virginia Tech. I think the most they've had against anybody was 15 the whole, uh, so far this season, right? Yes. Yes, and and I tell you what, I, I, I'm very pleasantly surprised. I did respect Virginia Tech's offense. I thought they would play way better. Auburn now has this trend. Uh, they, they are really forcing teams to pour three-point nights. They did that in Brooklyn against both Notre Dame and St. Bonaventure, and then they did it here against Virginia Tech. I mean, Virginia Tech finishing at 6-20, uh, which is just 30% from three. If you're holding teams to um, 30% or below from three, that, that's going to work out for you a lot. Well, Ryan, uh, let's don't go to that area because we suck bad at that side. 12, I think, or 13% from the three-point line. No, I understand, but I'm, I was talking Auburn's defense. and yeah. uh, Auburn's offense, I'm not worried about. I, 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 think, I think it's actually good news that they only made two threes and they scored in the mid-70s because usually if that had happened in other years, I mean, it would have been very hard for them to come up with enough half-court offense. And I know that they made a lot of free throws too, but that's where someone like Janai Broom becomes – very important. It becomes important that Chad Baker Mazzara can get to his spots inside of the three-point line and that sort of thing. So uh, I, I think all things considered, although I would not at all call it a very good offensive night, that's kind of the point, isn't it? That Auburn scored 74 points and we didn't feel like they did very much offensively. And I think that tells you how much they've started to improve and how much better they are than they were last year on offense. You know, what you say really has a lot of merit to it, and fair enough, uh, because we scored, what, over 80 points, and the the guy that was hoping that you would come alive last night, 0 for 7, Aiden Holloway, and I'm reminded again, I know Tom's not here, but he says all the time, it happens, right? It's, you know, but good gosh, 0 for 7 last night. Yeah, no, it was a rough night, uh, for sure. There's no if ands, or buts about it. But remember, Steve, also, uh, we were giving him praise the other week, and I told you, and you were not sure about it. You were you were pushing back on me a little bit, but I said, I promise you he's going to have a rough night or two this year. That's just how basketball works. Well, quit, quit please. Quit being so darn right. <laughs> I mean, I want to. I, I I want to be right when it uh, when it benefits Auburn and wrong when it benefits Auburn. So that's my goal. But but again, I I still think that's part of the point here is that 
Uh, you did have a good play uh, for the most part from Trey Donaldson. He was a, he had an efficient night. Uh, the threat of Holloway is always going to persist you because you have to guard him from so far out there. And again, you had so you had several negative things to point to, and yet you won a game by seventeen against a team that might be on the bubble, might be in the NIT, something like that. Um, again, I, I I understand there are things they'll have to do better. Like Aiden Holloway can't be zero for seven when they play Kentucky, and they can't be zero for seven when they play Tennessee and stuff like that. I get it, I totally get it, but. I, I think that when, as we are still in the early stages of this season, evaluating this team, like I feel, I still feel confident that Aiden Hallway, that's not going to be his most likely outcome. His most likely outcome is going to be a 12, 14, 15 point game. And, you know, th- the most likely outcome is that Auburn's going to be a pretty decent three point shooting team this year. So, again, I understand there's things to correct. Absolutely. It's not perfect. I, I'm not pronouncing them into the Final Four, but I think that it's good news that. I don't think they can play too much worse than that offensively. Like I, I think they could play a little worse. I think you know Broom could not have the big game. He'd have eighteen points or something instead of thirty. But I, I think that there's a lot of things that they're going to do far better, far more often than what they did last night. And yet they still were in the mid seventies. They had a forty point second half and they won this game easily. Okay, so this is where I want you to be right, then, Ryan. Yes, sir. I want I want you to be so right. <laughs> what I saw made the Holloway last night is an outlier, an anomaly, right? I still believe it's an outlier. Like I said, I, I will not promise you there won't be one or two more of them this year, but, I mean, we play 30-something of these things for a reason, but I think he's going to be far better than that uh, the vast majority of the time. I mean, again, he's he's not going over very often this year. He may not go over again, but, you know, he'll have one or two more week shooting nights. That, that will happen even to good shooters, but – uh, it, no, he, that will that will still be one of the outliers. And again, the fishing didn't help us. I mean, it was again last night. I said, "What are these? You know, ticky tack uh, fouls." Uh, they were away from the ball, or did y'all see it differently? I, so I, I will say that, yes, they called a lot of fouls, but I don't think it didn't benefit Auburn. I, I, Auburn actually shot a few more free throws, and and they was, and again, Virginia Tech had a few free throws late that made it even closer than that. I don't think it benefited or, or did not benefit Auburn. I just think that, yeah, I don't like both teams to shoot 30-plus free throws. That's not necessarily the game I want to see. Uh, but you also have to credit Auburn – Auburn offensively for forcing their way to the line that much. I mean, again, when Janai Brooms got 30 points, that's a problem. And the only way to prevent him from scoring is to try to hack him and, and send him to the foul line. So uh, part of that is, again, Auburn's ability to not have to settle for being a jump shooting team. I mean, 16 three-point attempts overall uh, is not what usually is the, is the number for Bruce teams. Usually it is in the 20s. So uh, I, I thought that they recognized that they were not on from three. They they committed themselves to getting into the two point area, and that means that you know they were twenty four of sixty two overall in the night. So that means they were twenty two uh, of uh, of forty six from two. So they were in fifty percent range from two. So I, I can live with that usually. Uh, and, and so again, I I, I think that they did uh, a, a solid job considering they had a couple things that they will rely on this year not work out for them last night. All right, and I don't know what was said or what led to it, but uh, of course we all know that uh, Mr. Katie Johnson uh, got a technical. Did you think he deserved that, guys? Do you know what he did for that? 
there would have had to have been a magical word, and I'll, I'll just be honest with you, Steve. You know, we're kind of nestled at the very top of the arena now. I, I would have zero clue what he would have said uh, from from that far away, and and I I was not eyeballing him at the exact moment to try and lip read from up there either. So uh, I, I'm not going to be the the greatest to comment on it. Obviously, it was kind of su- a surprising technical. It happened very fast, so I would have to assume there was a magical word in there. Uh, but but uh, you know I, I from that far away I had I had no idea that it even happened until they were shooting two free throws. Okay, and speaking of uh, certain words, uh, the one I loved on the, I saw last night on a video clip was when it was said to the uh, uh, attendees there, uh, ladies and gentlemen, please do not storm the court. Huh. Stay off the court. Um, and I said this is too much. Uh, of course, I'm talking about Duke being upset. By right. Arkansas, who is nowhere probably near the talent level that Duke has, right? Yeah, I mean, really few are. Uh, I mean, Duke recruits the best of anyone out of high school uh, year in, year out. But obviously they don't win the title every year, so that, that's not everything. Uh, but, but you know, I mean, Arkansas's, Arkansas is a top, what, 10 or 15 team in the preseason. I know they've already lost a few times. Uh, and, and falling out of the rankings, but it was—I mean, Arkansas is supposed to be a pretty good team this year. I wouldn't write them off just because of the slow start, and obviously that was a, a big game for them last night. And where was Tyrese Proctor? I, uh, you know, I, I didn't—I again, I didn't get to watch that game. I'm assuming he had a, a poor game then. I mean, he is a, a good player, but he is three of twelve last night. Yeah, reading. yeah. Again, I—I'll th- be honest. My assessment of Duke is they've got the ingredients to be really good, but they've. They still have not, in my opinion, in these year and a half or so, other than Filipowski, they've not found a lot of consistency out of their guys. Uh, Kyle Filipowski's awesome, but Mark Mitchell, Jeremy Roach, uh, as you mentioned, Tyrese Proctor, they've all, uh, they, they've all, to, for what they could be, they've not gotten that out of them yet. So uh, they, they're, they'll obviously need more of him, but. Uh, they again. They're just a little off right now. A little off. All right. Real quickly, guys. Still stay with basketball, I guess, but um, maybe not. Uh, the uh, National Sports Writers and Sports Media Association voters have some finalists for sports writers and also for sports announcers. Apparently, sportscasters. And I'm looking through this. Of course, for two four seven sports, they have three people that are in the finals uh, for this uh, award. Uh, they are Nathan King, Christian Clemente, and uh, Jason Caldwell. Yes. But I'm going to the Alabama Sportscaster, and whose name do I see not on there that's missing? Uh, Andy Bertram. Yeah. Eli Gold's in there. Yeah. Uh, Randy Kennedy, uh, who I can't stand. He's an Alabama homer uh, from Mobile, 99.5. How, how does uh, how's that explainable? That uh, Andy Bertram wasn't on the list, guys. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't follow uh, other. You know, I don't follow Randy Kennedy's work. But uh, I, I again, I, I would say that everyone is going to be very passionate about their own commentators and love them dearly because that's that's who they listen to. Um, and it's it's possible sometimes that we're not aware of of the the the, the more up top view of them. Um, certainly love Andy to death, does a great job. Uh, but I, they didn't go that way this year, uh, and I'm sure that he'll he'll be uh, continually considered in years to come. But, uh, you know, I, I, you know I, I don't know if, if uh, 
you know, I don't, I don't know if I can comment on every single person in that list. We we know, we've known Eli Gold for years, uh, and I, I do respect Eli Gold. Um, and but uh, you know, I, again, all those guys, I, I I don't I I it's hard to compare them all because you're you're fans of one and not the other, and and it gets it gets uh, it, it almost seems personal for some people because of how they how they listen and consume games. And I'll tell you what, uh, Steve, I was looking at I brought up the the past winners of it up until 2022 is, is what they have on the National Sports Media website. Uh, Eli Gold, you know, he's nominated this year. He hadn't won the, the Alabama Sportscaster of the Year since 2014. Uh, Chris Stewart's nominated this year from Alabama. He hasn't won it since 2016. Uh, Andy Burcham won it back in 2021. So it, it's different yeah. people are, are getting in every single year. Uh, you know, the, uh, Mike Paris, who won it two years ago, the ja- the, the voice of uh, Jacksonville State, uh, is not on there this year. He, he's the defending winner, I, I, I guess, or, or within the past two it, years. To be honest with there. you, it just kind of rotates. I think they're all uh, really good in their own way. I certainly think Andy's really good. Uh, and, and again, that just kind of shows you the rotational part of it. I think also, okay. I think another thing that plays in fact is I know Eli Gold had a lot of health problems last year, and he was able yeah. to come back this year and uh, do their home game. So I'm sure that played a factor into that as well. But he's a, he's a great commentator. I will say that he, he is. Yeah, uh, I don't care. We start yelling Alabama. I sound Alabama. Okay. Uh, have you seen the latest Heisman race? Uh, being narrowed down to two names according to Athlon Sports and FanDuel. Yeah, Jaden Daniels and Bo Nix. Yeah, in fact, Bo Nix is the favorite uh, above Jaden Daniels. Uh, what's your take, guys? You think uh, it's going to be uh, Mr. Bo Nix? Yeah, so I, I think that if he plays really well against Washington and they win, I think he'll win it. Um, Daniels has the does not have the opportunity to play this weekend, obviously. Uh, and so I think it's going to be very much put into because I believe this is a close race. Uh, I, I I still would lean Daniels, but I reserve the right if Nick's plays awesome in their most important game to change that. Uh, and and it's it's really honestly too been very uh, regional. I, I think if you ask people out west, they're staunchly in Bo Nix's camp. If you ask people around the SEC, they're staunchly in Jaden Daniels' camp. So. Uh, I, I think it's a hotly contested race. I absolutely think that this Oregon-Washington game will mean a lot to it. I think, I think, although some years people go ahead and submit their votes, of which I would absolutely never do, even if it's obvious, uh, I, I think this year there's going to be far fewer votes submitted before that game game happens Friday night. I think uh, I, I'd like to chime in. I kind of hate that they're saying it's a two-man race. I think Penix definitely deserves a shot because what if he tears up Oregon? And let's say Bo Nix doesn't play that well. I mean, what are we going to do? Well, Jane Daniels didn't play in conference championship, so does he get you know an ad benefit if Bo Nix doesn't play that well and Penix is awesome? Is he going to jump over him? I don't know. I think I, I do think Bo Nix is the favorite right now. I know a lot of people are pretty split on it. Like Ryan said, I think it's really close. I would definitely put it Nix, Daniels, then Penix. But I think whoever wins that game on Friday night between Nix and Penix, unless both of them are not very good or not very impressive, I think the winner of that game – really has a good shot at winning it because I just – I don't know how – I'm just not a big fan of Jane Daniels not playing this weekend. I know that it's a team stat, and I understand that, but I, I really do think it's going to come down to Penix and uh, Knicks, and I, I do think – I think Knicks is probably going to win it because I do think they're going to beat Washington. I also saw in here that uh, after you mentioned those top three, uh, top of fourth place are two other quarterbacks, Carson Beck and Milrow. 
who uh, also be playing this weekend. That's right. Yep. All right, guys, my final question to you, and I, I mean this sincerely, okay, because I I really am going to be uh, nauseated having to watch this game. I don't know if I'm going to watch it. Uh, I wish the, the, both teams play would get diarrhea and then they have to cancel it. But having said that, guys, um, what would be the best best possible scenario, outcome, that would prevent both Georgia and Alabama from going to the playoffs? What would need to happen? I mean, you'd walk a very, very dangerous uh, line here, but you would want you would want everyone to win, and then Alabama to win close. I think. I think that because if Georgia wins, period, they're in. Uh, period in discussion. If Alabama wins close, then you still might have Texas over them because of the head-to-head, and then you would certainly have Michigan, who's undefeated, and then you would have the Washington-Oregon winner, and so then you would need Florida State to beat Louisville. Uh, and if all those things happen, you got a shot at Now, would they possibly move Bama over Texas anyway? It's fathomable. Uh, what happens if Florida State, Louisville, uh, if Louisville beats Florida State, then Alabama gets in. The dangerous tightrope you walk is that if Alabama wins a close one and then Texas loses and Florida State loses, guess what? They're both in. Uh, so I, there's a chance. Yeah, no, because I, I think at that point, Bama's going to jump Ohio State. I don't see Georgia falling below Ohio State. Uh, then you would have Michigan in. Uh, you would have the Pac-12 champ winner in. And then again, like I said, if Florida State and Texas lose, uh, I don't see why either one of them would get the nod over Bama and Georgia. So you're walking a tightrope if you look, uh, if you root for Bama. Uh, and and to be fair, you'll you'll kind of know because you'll, Texas plays before them. Texas plays what noon or 11 a.m. Saturday. So if Texas wins, that disaster both team scenario I think gets thrown out the window a little bit there. But again, you are tight roping a little bit if you if you're rooting for Bama. And if Oregon beats Washington, should they be an automatic? I I mean I think so. Uh, now okay, let's play out Georgia wins. If Georgia wins and Michigan wins, that's two. And then you would have Oregon, who's number five. They should. I think they'd be in because I don't see how Texas would jump them. So you could still have Florida State in there, uh, who I guess is four right now. Uh, Florida State, because I've seen some picks, Brian. Uh, they're picking Louisville to upset Florida State. Well, I, that's that's certainly in play, but I don't think you would need that if you're Oregon, because I, I don't see how Texas would jump over Oregon. So I, saying it out loud, I think that the the Pac-12 champion winner. Uh, is in regardless. I, I think they're set up there in regardless. And then Washington, of course, they they get left out, right? If they lose, yes, yes. Even though they they, they won the previous head-to-head competition. Okay. Yeah, uh, because this one's on a neutral, and that one was at Washington, and this one happened last. So yeah, got to beat them again if you're Washington. But next season, we won't have to worry about these kind of uh, real close uh, matchups and losses and wins, will we? In a way, no, uh, not in this scenario, uh, but we will stress over 11, 12, and 13, though. We'll always stress over the last couple teams. Right. At least undefeated teams only have one loss, say, in the championship right. game. The, I was about to win. say, Steve, next year you won't have to worry about it because Georgia and Alabama will both be in automatically. That's one good thing about this. You know, they're going to have to play what I told some Alabama friends of mine. You know, now you get to play Auburn's schedule. 
Yeah. Because uh, Georgia doesn't have to play Alabama every year, and Alabama sure doesn't play Georgia every year. Right. But next year they got to play each other. And next so year, next year Auburn's eliminated. got a next year Auburn's got uh, some some favorable stuff to it for sure. Yeah, and by the way, no cupcake game. Uh, at least I don't, I don't know for us, for Alabama, because you know they got to play Oklahoma before they play us in the Iron Bowl. Right. Yeah, we'll see what Auburn's got. I know Auburn's got Vandy on the schedule next year, but we'll see. Uh, Auburn also has Oklahoma on the schedule next year. Huh? Auburn also has Oklahoma on the schedule this year, yeah. next year. It's at home, yep. Yeah, well, it won't be before the Iron Bowl. That's true. So there's that. Okay, guys, thank you so much for enlightening me and uh, didn't know all these scenarios that could possibly happen, but we got to wait to see what happens. And, uh, I'm pulling for Bo Nix. Uh, he, he, I think he definitely has improved, and I think probably he is the best quarterback. Um, I, I mean, I've been pleasantly surprised how that system apparently really works for him. Um, I'm sad that it couldn't have been uh, with an Auburn jersey, but I think he's the most deserving of quarterbacks. But we'll see. All right, thank you, guys. Have a safe afternoon, and uh, we'll do this again tomorrow. Until then, War Eagle, guys. War Eagle, Steve. Appreciate that phone call. That is retired War Dam Steve joining us on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line, and that will take us to the end of hour number one. Still ahead, coming up in hour number two, a little bit more of a thorough breakdown on Auburn's win against Virginia Tech in basketball last night. Also more, a little bit more maybe on the Heisman and on the uh, playoff situation. And then coming up at 4.30, Cole Pinkston on three to talk some recruiting and transfer portal with us. Stay tuned. More sports call coming up after this. One hour of our show is in the books. We've got more to come. Stay tuned for another hour of Sports Call right after the break. Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Hour number two of Sports Call starting right now. Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm and the Tiger Communications app. Ryan LaVoy, T.P. Hammock, Brooks Childress with you here on this Thursday. Coming up in about a half hour. We will have Cole Pinkston on of On3. It's a busy time of year already with the transfer portal and then also with recruiting. It's kind of the nature of it. I, I feel like I'm doing a disservice to the rest of college football because there are the most meaningful games are still upcoming. Uh, however, that's the nature of where we're at. And uh, with our teams that are not in conference championship games this weekend or – uh, really, I mean, pretty much all the teams that are still vying for the playoff spots are in uh, are in conference championship games. So unless you're one of those teams, you're kind of already peeking ahead. And certainly it's playing out in that way in the portal with five to ten really competent at minimum starting quarterbacks that are already uh, in the portal. And that's just how it's going right now. Uh, coming up probably in the month of January or so, we're going to return our birthdays and sports segment. But throughout we've continued to 
highlight someone if it's uh, if it's a big time deal. Uh, and I would say that Vincent Bo Jackson turning 61 today uh, is a big deal. So happy birthday to Bo Jackson, uh, the great Auburn running back uh, who obviously changed this program. Uh, and so uh, he uh, continues to be around from time to time. And uh, he turned 61 today. Always love Bo. So I uh, wanted to mention that this was his birthday. And again, birthdays and sports segment will. Uh, has, it's always been available. It's still been available uh, on our Twitter page, uh, on our X page. I don't know. Whatever you prefer. On the site formerly known as Twitter, at uh, SportsCallAU, we've always posted a graphic each and every day. And, and that segment will return in the on-air form sometime around uh, January. But uh, let's continue on. Last night, let's switch it up a little bit to the hoops. And Auburn basketball with a successful night on the hardwood, winning 74-57 against Virginia Tech. It was a game, guys, that honestly, other than if you want to be really intentional about a couple moments, maybe late first half or early second, really a game that Auburn controlled throughout. I mean, they got up 10 or 12 points about four or five minutes in. And then Virginia Tech got it down to seven or eight a couple times, maybe six in the first half. But really Auburn in control uh, throughout that game. Uh, Guys, what did you think about the Tigers' performance last night uh, in the inaugural ACC-SEC Challenge as Auburn gets this win? I was impressed by Janai Broom. I think he played probably one of his better games he's ever played with Auburn. He did a really good job there of carrying the Tigers to a big victory. There were times, though – I wasn't that impressed with some of the starters' performance, so I feel like Janai Broom really did a good job of carrying some of those lackluster performances. Uh, Auburn got out to a pretty hot start there, and it looked like they were going to, you know, they they had the opportunity to really put the put the hammer down early, but Virginia Tech was able to battle back, and it felt like that kept happening where Auburn would start to pull away, but Virginia Tech would start to come back, and it was kind of a seesaw until kind of in that later in the second half where Auburn really started to pull away, so. Uh, overall, I was impressed. Uh, what was Auburn like an eight and a half point favorite? I yes. believe. So uh, you covered the spread by a lot, and uh, that wasn't a bad Virginia Tech team. They weren't. They were better than Notre Dame. Uh, they were a yes. lot better than Notre Dame, but Notre Dame's pretty bad. But uh, yeah, I was pretty impressed. Good, a uh, good home court feeling there, and uh, there, there's a lot to work on. But you still got a 17 point win, so that's probably the best of both worlds. Both best of both worlds for Bruce Pearl and his uh, team. And you know, Brooks. Uh, I mean. Uh, TP mentioned it. I, I asked aloud what the crowd would be like mm. on an eight fifteen on a, on a weekday night. Uh, it what was, a tennis match was it? Well, it was sure was not. I, I was you beat me to it. I was that's <laughs> what I was setting up. My words are now purposeless. Brooks, take it away. I'm sorry. I I, I apologize. Um, but yeah, it was a, it was a great environment inside there. I, I think the later it goes, it feels like the crowd gets better. I mean, you get some of those. Uh, I know everybody, and me included, likes the six o'clock tips, but it's a little more late arriving crowd because uh, you know the the people are getting off work, having to get there. Some people have to go home, pick up their families, go home, go you know, then go to the arena. The students are there. The students are are lining up three hours beforehand. They're they're ready, but the rest of the arena it kind of gets it it takes a while to get filled in a little bit. It gets going there after you get tipped off, but I think those eight o'clock tips and really seven seven o'clock to eight o'clock. Uh, is the the golden zone where you can get you get folks in there and it, it's packed right off the bat, um, and so it's it's kind of a I like to call it get your get your concessions early kind of game because the rest of the game the lines are going to be absolutely terrible to navigate, um, but 
it, it was it was a really good environment. Um, first time Auburn's played Virginia Tech since like 1999, I think. It, they've played each other like nine times, but the first since 1999, uh, and it's the first in the last in '99. They even they was like at the San Juan Shootout or something in in Puerto Rico, so it wasn't even a, a in either arena. Uh, but you know, it, impressed. Um, was kind of you know you, you look at the stats. I was kind of worried that only two Auburn players were in double digits on the night. Uh, but one when one of those players uh, double digits is thirty points, yeah. it, it makes up for that. Uh, and so, like, like you mentioned earlier, um, you know some of these guys. Uh, you look at their stat lines from last night. Um, Aiden Holloway is not going to have too many Ofer nights when it comes to the point totals. Uh, Denver Jones uh, is a guy that's not is is you know, can can step up here. Uh, we saw what Cheney Johnson's uh, capable of in the last game against Alabama A and M. He led the Tigers in scoring last time uh, out. Uh, and then you know a guy that I was uh, impressed with was a guy that. Um, Justin Ferguson talked about yesterday on the program was uh, Chad Baker Mazzara. He came out uh, and was uh, five of five at the free throw line, but also five of ten shooting uh, just free uh, field goals uh, on the night. And so, fifteen points on the night. He was the second leading scorer for the Tigers. I was impressed with him, uh, and he's a guy that you know, like I said, Justin Ferguson mentioned yesterday is stepping up and uh, has been been putting some good performances together. And so, overall, you know, you, you'd like to see uh, more. Uh, offensive output from from the rest of the team. I know Trey Donaldson had nine points. Uh, mentioned Denver Jones eight points on the night. But you know you'd like to have some more offensive output from the guys and not just have Jani Broom be the guy that is is powering you. But it's nice to see that when when some of these other guys are are, are not scoring, that uh, a guy like Jani Broom, a guy like Chad Breaker Mazar can pick it up and can put double digits up there, and you're able to get that big win. Yeah, and again, look. No, I'm. This is not me saying that this is going to work all season long, and like this is actually some really good performance. But I'm already operating under some beliefs about this team that this is going to ultimately be a pretty good three point team, and that Aiden Holloway is pretty damn good, and that they're going to be able to score in a multitude of ways. And so, to me, if I know Holloway is good. And I know they can shoot it. To see Holloway not score and to see Auburn go two of sixteen from three, to me tells tells or it tells me that there are a lot of uh, a lot of possibilities of how this team can score. And that even when the shot's not falling, they can still get to a number that they can win at. Mm. Um, now I know last year's game was a little bit of an outlier. But last year against Tennessee, I mean, it was it came to a head. The, the sad thing, though, was it wasn't the only time last year that Auburn played that poorly offensively. They had that other game. God, what, what, early in the year, was it one of those uh, neutral site games? Was it the Memphis game in, in, in uh, Atlanta? Well, see, they didn't play particularly well in that one either, but I think that was higher scoring at least. They had a couple last year where – they had just nothing offensively, nothing, because the ball didn't move. They were in half court sets. They didn't run them very well. I remember that Tennessee game. Yeah. It was like that, right? Could, couldn't uh, couldn't shoot the three. Uh, just just couldn't couldn't do anything. And is Janai Bruno score thirty points every time they don't hit threes? No, but it does emphasize that 
he is every bit as good as he was last year. Might be better. That he is a real option. They there's there was no upgrade in need. It was very big big decision that they got him back. And that some of these guys in their roles are are probably more fitted for their roles. Look, we've still not had a huge Denver Jones game. We've had one or two where he's gotten double figures, but not like an explosive game. He scored, what, 18, 19 a, a, a game at FIU last year. I personally thought he would be in the 14 to 15 point range at Auburn. And it's not it's not even matter at all. And, and I still think that guy's in there. Like, if you tell me you get 15 points out of Denver Jones, I'm not going to stop the presses. I still think he can do that. Uh, but he's not needing to. Uh, and if he's just hitting free throws or being efficient, like last night, I know he's only one of four from the field. He's six six from the line. Like, okay, great. That offsets some of the misses of the big guys that Auburn's just not ever going to get great foul shooting out of. And and Baker Mazar, you brought up Brooks that Ferg brought up, and I brought up early in the year. Like, I I I will say it way too many times. People will be very annoyed. I just think he is a more controlled and efficient Alan Flanagan. And maybe I'm saying that because he's left-handed. Maybe you're just staring at me in the face. <laughs> but I just think he is a more orchestrated version of Flanagan. And when you're not even necessarily needing Baker, like they needed Flanagan to be like their fourth best player last year, maybe even third at times. Uh, they don't need. They don't even need that at Baker Mazar. He might be that. He might become that. He might function that way. But they don't even need him necessarily do that because at any time I think that Denver Jones might do that. And I might think that Jalen Williams still have a big game in him and Holloway can do this and Donaldson can do that. Like I just think there are so many more options that yes, there's some problems in how they played last night. They're not necessarily problems I think that will persist all season long. And you know something else that we that was a problem earlier in the year that we we talked about uh, was the the defense without fouling too is being physical, uh, but not physical to the point where you're drawing fouls. I know you know last night t- Steve brought it up, uh, but it was about halfway through that first half the refs kind of started to blow the whistle a little bit more. They let them play to start with, but then about halfway through that first half they started blowing that whistle a little bit more. Uh, and you know you, you talk about all the the free throws uh, shot with 31 shot for for Virginia Tech, 36 shot for Auburn are not ideal numbers that you want to see in a basketball game is watching people stand at a line and and hoist a a ball up at a basket but on the positive side of things you look at that at uh, at Auburn's stat line only two guys really got into foul trouble Katie Johnson ended up fouling out with and and they got that extra technical and then Jalen Williams finished with four you had a couple guys get close with three with uh, Baker Mazar and Cheney Johnson and everybody else was two or one or zero, and so the the fouls there was very very spread out. Where they it it, it wasn't the same guy. And I'll tell you what, even you know Janai Broom, who had a big night, only had one foul called on him. He only had one uh, one personal foul called on him, and so it, it, you you saw them really locked down on defense, and they were a little physical, but they they were not uh, to the point where everybody's drawing all these. Uh, everybody's getting in foul trouble. You're having four or five guys getting to three or four fouls. Uh, one other observation I had, because I've not really talked about him much, because he's—I think he's still unknown on offense. There's still some things. There's some things I think I know, and there's some things that still need to play out more. And I don't know what this guy will continue to do offensively, but Cheney Johnson belongs as an athlete at this level, and that has become abundantly clear in the first handful of games here. He had a block last night that was tremendous. 
Uh, and what I've noticed about him is that he does a pretty good job when he's aggressive. He does get to the spot he wants to get to. He's not making a high rate of them every night, but he is he is not at all athletically challenged at, at this level of basketball. And that's good news because at the D2 level, you can just get all sorts of things. You can get guys that take advantage of smaller teams, you get guys that take advantage of slower teams. You get guys that shoot and can get their shot off because no one, no one's athletic enough to do anything about it. You, you can get all sorts of things. Um, and, and he, as a, a four slash a three, he's able to get to wherever he needs to get to. Uh, he is holding up defensively. He does have energy. And it's good to have another guy like that because, again, they – they've come from a place where they've got other guys that are geared towards offense to where you can have one or two of him and Chris Moore. Like Chris Moore is still just not a good offensive player, but he gives you great energy and rebounds. And I think Chaney Johnson has a, a chance to be a more offensive version of Chris Moore. And again, that that's just why I'm liking this team so much more than last year's team because some of the guys that gave you contributions here and there last year are still here, but they're being asked to do less. They're not as vital to your success. Like again, last year you had to have Alan Flanagan give you something. It, you had to, or you had to have Katie Johnson give you something. Katie Johnson does not have to give you anything. He spazzed out last night. I, I'm just call it what it was. He was one of six. He fouled out. He <laughs> he was in spaz mode. He was. But we love that spaz because sometimes he gives you the most critically important energy plays because he always brings it. Uh, and he was described, I think it was Tom Green, who's since moved on to cover in Oklahoma. I think it was Tom Green that first coined him a rabid jackal. <laughs> uh, and I, and that, that's, that's awesome for him. But last year, we were like, if Katie Johnson had a one for six, that was very impactful in a negative way to Auburn. It's not that this year. And again, that's the point. That's how I can tell that they are better offensively and way better because the same guys don't even have to do the same thing they did last year. And they still find plenty of ways to score. So, again, I'm liking what I've seen out of this Auburn team. We've got a couple more minutes before our next break and we get to Cole Pinkston. I do want to go real quickly through what ultimately happened in the ACC-SEC Challenge. Uh, you like ties? We've eliminated them in a lot of ways. Can't eliminate them from this. You played 14, and each team, each conference won seven. So back on Tuesday, Georgia Tech hosted Mississippi State, beat them 67-59, excuse me. South Carolina beat Notre Dame again. Notre Dame not looking great. How about South Carolina, though? 6-0 start. Yeah. I mean, again, they, they to me, I will, I will tell you this. They're on – it is a good start. <laughs> They're on fraud alert because there's always one team, and it's usually Mississippi State. There's usually one team that will be like 12-2 and two in the non-conference, and they might even get ranked. And you're like, you know what? They're on to something. And then they go 4-14 four and 14 in the league, and they finish 500 overall. And you go, yep, that sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. And so South Carolina might be that team. I think it's, I mean, good for them. Again, they, they have struggled mightily. Uh, after the the final four team of Frank Martin uh, several years ago, they they have they regressed and they've not been good. 
So we'll see, but they, they they might be on that alert to go, hey, this this looks like a pretty good team. Yeah, I think they're frauds. They only have a five-point victory over DePaul, so uh-huh. who is literally probably the worst Power 5 basketball <laughs> team this year. So we'll see about them, but still checking the boxes, and again, Notre Dame not great. Syracuse stomped LSU on Tuesday, 80-57. LSU struggling out of the gate. Kentucky can score all the points. They beat number eight Miami in Rupp 95-73. Missouri went to Pitt, 171-64. Ole Miss trounced NC State, 72-52 in Oxford. And Clemson went uh, to their match against Alabama and won 85-77 in Coleman. Last night's games... Uh, this not an NBA score. This was not Grizzlies and Hornets. Uh, North Carolina beat Tennessee 100-92. to Carolina put 61 on the balls in the first half. Uh, really such a shame in my opinion. Uh, anyway, Virginia beat number 14 Texas A&M 59-47. That's the most Virginia score if I've ever heard one. This is your public reminder that Ryan LaVoy is a, is a North Carolina Tar Heels uh, Sure am. Go Heels. Uh, 82-71. <laughs> Wake Forest defeated Florida. Uh, so convincing for the Demon Deacons. Uh, and then Duke loses to Arkansas. Again, I hate that for them, 80-75. to <laughs> This is, once again, your reminder that Ryan LaVoy is a North Carolina Tar Heels fan. <laughs> uh, Boston College went to Vandy and put a whooping on them. Vandy is uh, not off to a good start. They've also had some injuries, but still, that's looking rough for them, 80-62. to But don't worry, they'll get that big practice facility in the north end zone here real soon. Yes, they will. And then they can practice all their shooting. And then Georgia, with a bit of surprise, they go to Florida State and win 68-66. to And that, folks, is how we had, uh, if I did not say it again one more time, Auburn did beat Virginia Tech 74-57. That, folks, is how we come out to a 7-7 tie uh, in the uh, wonderful world of the ACC-SEC Challenge. Overall thoughts before we go to break. Did you like the challenge? Any games that stand out? Georgia-Florida State foreshadowing? Maybe. 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 If Florida State can beat Louisville, the good news is, uh, well, the bad news for Florida State is they don't get to play Louisville basketball because Louisville had a triumphant win against Bellarmine (laughs) 73-68 last night. Fantastic. Louisville's up to like 4-3, and but again, every game is a pain for them. So so my question is, for next year, with with the new friends joining the ACC from way out there, yeah, what what, what are they going to do about that? I mean, like, is a couple is, teams won't play, but I mean, SEC's yeah. going to add two to the party too. Yeah, that's true. So that that'll probably balance it out. But but could Auburn play Cal in basketball? Make make the journey Gosh. back. We we had a thriller in football just a couple months ago. Why not? Why they, not put on the hard the hardwoods? So they left Louisville out because they were god awful last yeah, year. That, that, didn't play. I think that'd be you fair. put Louisville in. Yeah, and you put SMU in, and you just avoid Stanford and Cal like play. Like we're not we're not doing a ten o'clock. <laughs> you forget that they're part of the conference for yeah. this week. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we're we're not back doing to the ten back. o'clock game. There you go. Who? No, they don't. They're not here. Ah. What are you talking about? But uh, yeah, guys, I guess for me, you know, again, Kentucky looking really good. Uh, they to me look the best. Tennessee can still be involved. I think it was good news. Tennessee scored a lot. North Carolina uh, also. North Carolina just scored a million points. That's not going to happen every. I still think. Again, Tennessee does not usually play that way. It was just an odd game. Carolina got them out of the element. I think North Carolina has greatly improved from last year's team. I think they're more uh, cohesive this year. And so they. I think that's just a legitimately really good team. And, again, it's just tough to win on the road. The The home team went 10-4 and four in this challenge. When, when we get into February, 
and we're talking about home and road records, and we're talking about, God, can you just win like two road games in conference play? I mean, like this is why it's tough. The the, the home teams went 10-4, and four, uh, and there was a couple upsets, Arkansas over Duke. I, I don't think Arkansas would have beaten Duke and Cameron, just, just personally. But, again, they, 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 they beat them in, in Fayetteville. That's a tough place to play. I think one of my favorite things about this is it doesn't break up the conference slate like the the SEC Big 12 challenge did. It's because yes. everything, you know, you, you get into it. And I know football has, you know, some some non-conference breakups in there. But you look at all the other sports around the NCAA, you get your non-conference slate done early, and then you go into conference play because that's what matters when it comes to those, those postseason tournaments. Um, and it's, it, you know, I think it's good that you're, you're getting this uh, done uh, in the in in the non-conference. Plus, it gives you another little thing to look forward to instead of, uh, you know, watching uh, Kentucky play Eastern Kentucky for the twelfth straight year in the middle of, in in early December, late Jan- or late uh, late November. Uh, you know, you you get you start the year out, you play some you know some cupcake teams, and then you get some of those uh, you know, around Thanksgiving. You get the the tournaments going, the the Maui Gym, uh, the 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 Legends Classic, all these other you know the, these uh, mid season tournaments. Then you go back into that the the coast mode here for a lot of the big teams going through the rest of December into uh, January, where you're playing some cupcake teams again. And this is a good way to break that up. You say, "Hey, cool, Kentucky. You can play Eastern Kentucky, and you can play uh, you can play Murray State." But right in the middle of it, you have to play a, a top ten Miami team. Good luck. Yeah, and uh, Kentucky informed everyone they did not need luck; they just <laughs> needed shooting, and they had it. Uh, so, uh, it's going to be interesting. But again, the inaugural ACC SEC Challenge ends in a tie at seven. Thank you. I guess Auburn was one of the very last games. Thank you, Auburn, for evening it up for. The SEC. We need to take our next time out. When we come back, Cole Pinkston of On3 will join us. We'll talk football recruiting. Is Cam Coleman going to come to Auburn? Many people wonder that. We're going to ask that. We're also going to ask about the transfer portal and see what Auburn, what quarterbacks Auburn might see uh, as a fit for them, how aggressive they're going to be in the portal, that sort of stuff. Cole Pinkston coming up next here on this Thursday edition of Sports Call. Looking for another way to listen to our show? Be sure to download the Tiger Communications app and listen to Sports Call wherever you go. Follow Sports Call on Twitter at SportsCallAU. Like us on Facebook at SportsCallAU. Welcome back to Sports Call on this Thursday. Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. Ryan LaVoy, Brooks Childress, and T.P. Hammock with you here on this Thursday. And we are now excited to go to our orthopedic clinic phone line where we welcome on Cole Pinkston of On3 and Auburn Line. Kind enough to give us some of his very busy time out of his very busy schedule here on this Thursday with all the recruiting news and transfer portal news. Cole, as always, the time is greatly appreciated. How are things in your world? Oh, man, things are crazy. Uh, <laughs> nonstop ever since, the, well, before the Iron Bowl, but really cranked up since the Iron Bowl has been over, no doubt. 
And you see, Cole, like, I don't know if you ever thought about it this way, but you kind of have an inverse relationship with Auburn people, their happiness in recruiting, and your workload because the busier you are, the happier Auburn is because they're recruiting the heck out of this thing. But if you're you're not as busy, then, okay, they're not doing as well the recruiting trails. I don't know if you ever thought of it that way, but, uh, of course, a lot of players at Auburn is targeting right now, as you mentioned. But uh, take us through these last couple weeks, just just – how far-reaching has this uh, late push before signing day been so far? Well, I'll put it this way. When Freeze took over a year ago yesterday, that's when things got cranked up for a hard job in recruiting. Sure. It's like out of nowhere, you're writing 10 stories a day about recruits because of offers and interest in Auburn and visits and things of that nature. So it's never stopped from that day. Um, and it keeps going. That's the way that it's been under Hugh Freeze. And uh, that's a good thing, like you said. But, you know, the push towards signing day, they got a couple weeks about to hit into December here. They're going to get some um, in-home visits done with their top targets, with their commits, and try to get everybody signed up in December. You know, sometimes they leak over into January and February, but if they can get the whole class signed in December, then they're, you know, ahead of the game with the transfer portal. And, Cole, we will get to Transfer Portal in just a couple minutes, but let's focus on uh, some of these guys. And and first I want to ask this, and this might be dumb-dumb question of the year. I I don't know. Uh, But we look at visits like this past weekend. We see the crazy environment. We see all the great things to it. Uh, And we know that Auburn had a laundry list of guys for both 24 and 25 there at the Iron Bowl. Does the game result impact things greatly in recruits' mind as long as it close? Like, like if say, as we all hoped, uh, that pass would not have been complete. Would that have changed anything in anyone's mind, or is it just more about okay, we see how close they are, we see the facilities, we see the relationship with coaches? Just, just take us through uh, recruits' minds when it comes to the result of these close games. Yeah, that was a big question before the game happened all week from people that subscribe to us and on Twitter and everything, you know, what what does Auburn have to do in this game in order to help recruiting? And in my opinion, it was, it didn't matter what the score was. You just had to show like you, you cared, like you had some fight. Like you could make a turnaround from a big loss to New Mexico State. And, and obviously that happened. I mean, you can't, you can't walk away from that game and not be happy with your fight and, and, and what you put up in that game. And even, uh, just sometimes dominating um, an Alabama front, you know, with the offensive line or um, stopping the run, doing things that they haven't normally done against Alabama in the past couple of years. So you showed that, you showed fight, you showed all of that, and you showed the atmosphere. Uh, the, the guys, the recruits we talked to, they just can't get over it. They can't get over how awesome it was and student section being there two and a half hours before the kick and all this kind of stuff. So, Cole, I'm going to go with the road less traveled here. I know that Ryan and Brooks are going to ask about Cam Coleman and Ryan (laughs) Williams, but I'm going to take a different approach. I'm going to talk about Ryan Williams' quarterback there, K.J. Lacey, 2025 Texas commit. I know he was there for the Iron Bowl. Is there any chance that Auburn can get in on that recruitment? I mean, he's been to Auburn a few times, and uh, I know the fans have been really talking about uh, Mr. Lacey and a potential flip. Yeah, K.J. Lacey might be – the main I'm not gonna say he's the main guy, but he's definitely one of the top two to three quarterback targets for the twenty twenty five class. Of course, he's committed to Texas right now. A lot of people believe that he could probably end up back in state, whether it be Auburn or Alabama or 
Um, a couple of other schools are recruiting him too, but I kind of like where Auburn's, you know, starting to make a move with him and maybe get his attention more. I don't know if Auburn's going to be the choice quite yet, but you know, with quarterbacks in the twenty-five class, it's it's getting close to time for them to make a decision. They don't drag things out typically, so we're we're getting pretty close to a uh, a decision. I think you'll probably see KJ Lacey back, um, maybe right after signing day, make a visit, and they'll start to make a push for him, is my guess. Cole, when you look at signing day coming up here in a couple weeks, uh, what what are some positions that the this this team is not quite filled in uh, with this signing class right now that they're really making a push here in these next few weeks? Uh, offensive line, I think, is number one. You, you have one offensive line commit in DeAndre Carter from um, Modern Day High School in California. That's a huge one, but you got to have some more. You know, we know there's a couple more targets there. Cohen Eccles, the guy that's committed to A&M, was at the Iron Bowl. Um, Seth Wilfred, who is a JUCO offensive lineman, is going to visit here in the next week or so. They need at least maybe three to four guys there on the offensive line, and then they can go look in the portal. So that's a big play. And then you have receiver. Honestly, they have three good ones, Perry Thompson, Malcolm Simmons, Bryce Kane. But as y'all mentioned, uh, Cam Coleman's still out there. Uh, Ryan Williams is still out there. And, you know, there's the potential of him possibly reclassifying. So you got those out there, and I think they want to finish with those guys. I think they would consider it a loss if they didn't finish with one or two of those guys. And so, Cole, let, let me go ahead. Here it is. Let me, let me ask about him. And let me start with Ryan Williams a little bit because I, I, I truthfully have no idea on this. Is there any – in terms of if he decides to reclassify, is there more one more likely outcome for a school in that, like, if he reclassifies, that means it's more likely to be Auburn. Or if he reclassifies, it's more likely to be Alabama. Is there any bearing on, on the reclassification and the likeliness to go somewhere, or do those two things kind of not relate? I don't think it makes a huge difference. I, I will say that Auburn probably thinks it helps them because they can sell immediate playing time. I mean, a lot of the guys that you're, you've seen for Alabama make big plays at receiver this season are, are coming back. And they have a pretty loaded room. A lot of good players in that room for Alabama at receiver. Um, Auburn, you know, trying to – I mean, they they might have some big-time portal attrition there. And when I, when I, what I mean by that is they may lose some numbers in that room before it's over with. So there's opportunity, um, especially for, you know, for him and Cam Coleman and all these guys coming in. Freshmen are going to play at that, at that position next season – and if that's the case, you would think that it probably doesn't hurt Auburn, if that makes sense. Sure. And then on Cam, Col- uh, Cam Coleman, uh, obviously that we've went, gone through this before. A lot of people felt good about him going to Auburn. He then commits to A&M a few months back. Well, now there's a coaching change. And now also his position coach, one that Auburn knows very well, Damian Craig, was let go of there at A&M. So give me the latest on the likelihood of Coleman, and if not, at least the timetable on when we're expecting a decision. Yeah, well, you, you can add me in on people who thought he was going to commit to Auburn because I put in a <laughs> prediction for it. Uh, right the day before he committed to A&M, actually. So would love to get that one back, that <laughs> prediction. Uh, maybe it might happen. You know, he's um, he's he's been quietly visiting Auburn on and off here in the past two months, I would say, where it's nothing for him to ride up there because he's from Phoenix City, you know. But 
that's good. I mean, that was a trend that we started seeing before Jimbo Fisher was fired, before Damian Craig got let go. So we knew Auburn was making a move again. But now you have all that attrition going on there at Texas A&M. Um, we know Florida State and Georgia are probably in the picture too, but it just seems like right now Auburn's got the momentum. Again, this guy's a little bit unpredictable on what he might do. So you have to keep your, you know, keep your head on a swivel with that. But I, I, I mean, I like Auburn for Cam Coleman right now. All right, Cole, let's go portaling here now uh, as we continue on uh, here on Sports Call. When you look at this this Auburn team right now, and, and, and before we get to looking at guys that could come here, only about two to three guys have uh, officially, you know, officially unofficially said they're going to be entering the portal from Auburn. Do you think that number is going to be lower than what some people think, or do you think that there's going to be a little bit of an influx here over the next week or so? I do. I think there's going to be more. Um I don't know exactly what the number's going to be. Wouldn't surprise me if it got it into double digits on how many guys left Auburn. Um, just looking at the roster numbers, trying to figure things out, knowing that they do want to bring in some guys to try to, you know, get the talent level up and get some production and all that. So, you know, in this world of NIL, that's, that's part of the business of it. There's a lot of turmoil and a lot of uh, shuffling of the roster, especially when you're trying to rebuild things and, you're trying to get young depth, too, because, um, you know, at Auburn Live, we do a, a chart showing the class year, your freshmen, your sophomores, juniors. The sophomore and junior class, they're missing a lot of guys. Okay. The 2021 recruiting class for Auburn has one guy left in it, Jarquez Hunter. So that's got to be addressed. And I think really the only way to do it is through the portal. So, Cole, let's just say this hypothetically. If Auburn could get one player in the portal, I know there's still going to be a lot more to enter even after this weekend's over. Currently, who would you get for Auburn and why? No question. It is Riley Leonard, the quarterback. And and here's the thing about that. I, I'm actually um, – if, if you follow us at Auburn Live, I do a lot of breakdowns. and I've been pretty – impressed for the most part with Peyton Thorne. I think a lot of the pieces around him have to get better in order for him to be more successful at Auburn. That's my stance on it. Not everyone agrees with it, and that's totally fine. Um, I think he's done a lot of good things. I think he operates the offense cleanly. But there's nothing like good competition. And a guy like Riley Leonard brings that. I'd love to see those two battle it out. I think Riley Leonard is pretty dynamic himself and could be an excellent quarterback at Auburn. So he's in the portal. Um, you know, there's a chance. We, we know Auburn's got interest, and um, we'll see what happens. That would be my pick, though. I, I guess the difference this year, Cole, is that Peyton Thorne is a guy they feel can start in this league and, and someone they can work with uh, for next year if they if they feel like it. And I know that they maybe gave that some sort of lip service with Robbie Ashford this year too, but I mean it was clear that they were going after many different guys that tried to hit the portal uh, last year. This year, do you think that because Thorne is maybe a little more established in their minds, they worked with him all year with this coaching staff, do you feel that if they miss on their top target or two at the position, they might just go and say, ah, okay, we'll just uh, we'll kind of regroup with Peyton and with Gardner and, and Walker White and whoever? Or do you think that they pretty much, even if it's not someone that might be perceived as the future starter, do you think they'll try to add someone no matter what? Yeah, I think you, you have to the, – the crazy thing about what's going on right now is that the transfer portal is not technically open yet. It opens <laughs> in about a week. 
guys are just announcing their intentions, and there's so much more to come. I mean, it's going to be crazier than last year, I think. So you you, you probably could expect some some maybe departures from the quarterback room right now. I, I wouldn't count it. I wouldn't count it out. I just put it that way. I don't know. I don't have any intel on that. That's just my guess. Sure. With the law of averages. If that is the case, you're probably going to have to get another quarterback in there just for numbers' sake. But there's some strategy to it. Do you want to get a guy that's got three or four years, a young guy, or do you want to get a guy that's like a grad transfer? He's got some seasoning on him. Is that what you're going for? I, I think it is. I think that's what they're going to try to get is a grad transfer with one year. And then I think they feel really good about Walker White coming in and Hank Brown. I heard some good things about Hank Brown who's still on the roster. So that could be the future that they're looking at, but they, they, they know that they have to bridge the gap somewhere. He's Cole Pinkston of On3 Auburn Live. Cole, we really appreciate the time today. Give our listeners an overview of what will be going on recruiting-wise there with On3 and Auburn Live here in the coming weeks. Yep, everything. Signing day, um, 2024 class, 25 class. Auburn even got a 2026 commitment today. You can read about that. Um, AuburnLive.com, $1 gets you in for one month. You know, if, you, if that didn't work out for you, I'll loan you a dollar. <laughs> Uh, that sounds like a great deal to us. Cole Pinkson of On3 Auburn Live today with us. Cole, as always, we do appreciate the time. I know, again, things are very busy for you, but uh, we certainly do appreciate and appreciate you and uh, wish you well here in covering all this madness in the next few weeks. Yeah, appreciate you all for having me on again. Uh, absolutely. That is Cole Pinkston of On3 Auburn Live joining us today on Sports Call. Again, appreciate Cole. Uh, for joining us today. We're going to take one final time out here in the 4 o'clock hour. Back with more right after this. Want to know how easy it is to listen to our show? All you have to do with your Amazon smart device is say, Alexa, play Sports Call Auburn. I'm Trevon Reed, former Auburn Tiger football player, national champion. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back to this Thursday edition of Sports Call, Tiger 95.9. It feels, maybe I'm being weird, I don't know. Uh, it feels like it's flying by today, though. We've usually gotten to the NFL by this point in the show. We've not. So we will have that coming up in hour number three. Only got a minute or two left here in hour number two. We thank Cole Pinkston for joining us. And again, guys, there's just so many recruiting headlines right now for Auburn. And that's just one of the most obvious differences and this year to the last couple that there are the season ends and you don't have to generate the storylines in the recruiting world for Auburn. They are already there. There are several of them and there are several big targets. 
Yeah, I, I feel like this is what you wanted whenever, you know, Hugh took over last year and you had a pretty successful signing day, but it wasn't as successful. But you thought to yourself, I think all Auburn fans thought to themselves and said, give it a year and let's see what it looks like. And it's looking like it's going to shape out to be a really good class. So uh, there's probably going to be, you know, a decommitment here or there, you know, but I, I'm, I've been pretty, I've been very, I've been very impressed with how Hugh has done recruiting versus the way that the um, the Harson administration did uh, recruiting wise. So it's night and day. I, I think that's an understatement. I'll say night and day versus how it was before Hugh got hired and what it is currently. Yeah, no, I, I think uh, I think it's important to get a couple more. I think you need a couple more in this right. class. You got eighteen players. You're at fifteenth. Those numbers are not the numbers that you need to end up at. And I will say too, Cole hit the nail on the head with, you know, part of Harson really being awful at recruiting for two years uh, is that you have the middle classes now don't have anything in them, and you're going to have this weird dynamic in a year or two unless you get a bunch of portal guys. So there's going to have like five seniors. You're going to have an absurdly low amount of seniors and a very young team. So they do need to get numbers there, and they started doing that with some of the portal last year. But it's also why I'm a little bit more this cycle than I normally am on the quantity. I still want quality. I'm not saying shove a bunch of 952nd-ranked players in the class last second for the hell of it, but uh, I think that you're trying to deplete real number loss over the last couple of years. So getting to around that 25 or so I think is still uh, important. And obviously you want the quality to come with it, but uh, I, I do think that they, they need to add about another five or six more into this 2023 class. We are out of time for hour number two. Coming up in hour number three, we will shift gears a little bit. We'll go to some NFL. Uh, it's a busy time in the National Football League, although a few more teams on the bye this week. We'll preview the week ahead in the National Football League next. You're listening to the Thursday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Two hours of Sports Call are finished. Don't touch that radio dial. We've got one more hour to go. Whether you're leaving work, cruising around town, or listening on demand, we've still got some fun left for you. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show has been on the air since 1995 and is ready for 60 more minutes of fun. Now, let's get this hour of Sports Call started. Third and final hour of Sports Call starting right now. Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. Ryan LaVoy, Brooks Childress, T.P. Hammock with you here on this Thursday and about to talk some NFL as we've already gone through Auburn versus Virginia Tech, went through some football recruiting, transfer portal, a little brief Heisman discussion. Uh, We've done a lot already here on this Thursday edition of the show, but as we do each and every Thursday, Want to get to some of uh, the big NFL games coming up this weekend. And, again, we always do that on Thursdays because the what, week starts on Thursdays. 
And it starts with a pretty good one tonight. Dallas Cowboys 8-3 and three on the year. Again, regular season, not much wrong. Plenty competent enough team. Misfortune of being in the division with the 10 and 1 team. Only one loss team in the NFL, but uh, they played good football this year. And then playing the 6 and 5 Seattle Seahawks, who could not get it done on Thanksgiving Thursday last week. These two teams did play last Thursday, just not against each other, obviously. And uh, Seattle did not look particularly good against San Francisco on their home field. I'd wondered about that game, but. I think San Francisco has taken clear control now of the West and has re-emerged in that tier with the Eagles. Uh, I, I, I wonder how this game's going to go, guys, but I also wonder how you view uh, the Cowboys uh, especially. I mean, they are tied with the 49ers for the second-best record in the NFC. Uh, it, it seems to me that they've got enough to be right there. I just... It's going to be one of those things where it's just hard to be confident in the postseason, how it's gone the last 30 years for them there. And then Seattle, on the other hand, this is an important team because they're now going to – they go from having an opportunity to challenge for the division last week to, well, if you drop this one, you're at 6-6. Six and six. That opens up some uncomfortable wild card possibilities that might end up leaving you out because you've got Minnesota at 6-6, six and six, Green Bay – at five and six, Atlanta, New Orleans, both at five and six, LA at five and six. There's a lot of teams that can join you around the 500 club uh, if you keep losing. So I think this is important for both the top and the bottom of the NFC playoff picture. Yeah, I'm, I'm in the same boat as you with the Cowboys, is I think they're a good team, uh, but we've seen the Cowboys be a good team uh, in recent years and just haven't been able to get it done in the postseason. Uh, you know, I think they're they're a team that can can solidly make a run here into the playoffs. But once you get to those playoffs, what what is what does that team look like? Uh, Cowboys in this one undefeated at home haven't lost in in Jerry World this year yet. They're five and zero. I think Dak Prescott is is uh, you know you, you look at how he's been playing so far this year. Twenty three touchdowns, six interceptions. Um, has been uh, has been really good. And I'll tell you what, you know, we we saw earlier this year. Um, uh, you know, you, you started to you looked at that uh, the defense for the Cowboys when uh, Trayvon Diggs went down. You were like, "Well, how's that secondary going to do now that he's gone?" They've been fine. They they've been Deron playing bland, man. Yeah, they've been they've been playing some good football. Uh, so much so that a uh, defensive coordinator for the the Cowboys was the Falcons' head coach Dan uh, Quinn. Dan Quinn. Yeah. He's starting to get some the some talk about him about getting back into the head coaching area, uh, which I don't think a lot of people said uh, gave we're going to give him that chance after Atlanta after he, he was fired in Atlanta. But he's on those the, he's part of those uh, discussions now about getting a, uh, getting a head coaching job when stuff starts to open this year. Um, the Seahawks, they're a team. They're right now they're the sixth seed in the in the playoffs, so they're they're in the playoffs right now. But like you said, the, they're they're in danger of. Uh, you've got some teams that are right behind them. Obviously, you got the Vikings right there as the seven seed. You got the Packers who are still kind of mingling around the five hundred. You got the Rams still mingling around five hundred. The Saints, uh, one one, all three of those teams are one one uh, one game below five hundred. You've still got the Buccaneers sitting down there. You've got the Giants still in the picture, uh, and so. There's, you know, you've got a chance here. If if the Seahawks don't look out, they could find themselves on the wrong side of that uh, that playoff bubble uh, and be back in uh, be one of those teams that are caught 
caught in the hunt at the end of the season. Uh, this one, though, I, I think the Cowboys, you know, you, you really it's a it felt like a normal week for them. If they played last Thursday and they get another Thursday night game, it's just a normal week for them. I think they're going to be ready for this one. I think they, they defend home turf and can remain undefeated at home. So my feelings about the Cowboys is they are – what they always have been under Mike McCarthy. They are a bunch of front runners. Whenever they get out to an early lead, they usually win. But if anyone gets out on them early and gives them any sort of adversity, they usually fold and they usually lose. That's what happens in the playoffs. That's what San Francisco's been able to do to them. Whenever they've played really good teams that have been able to kind of jump the gun on them, they usually fold and they make mistakes. I don't know what happens. I, I don't know if it's Mike McCarthy gets, you know, I don't know if his play calling gets tight. I don't know if Dak gets nervous, but it's just been the case every single time under Mike McCarthy. So I, I do think they're going to beat the Seahawks. I, I think the Seahawks are kind of bad. I know they're 6-5, and five and, I mean, they've been okay, and I, I think Pete Carroll's a great coach, and I'm sure they'll be competitive, but, I mean, they, they have been – Kind of disappointing. I, I see that nine-and-a-half-point favorite Dallas, and I do think they will cover that. But, I mean, I think Dallas will win as they do, but and they'll probably cruise to – I mean, they'll probably go and lose to the Eagles or whatever, and they'll make the playoffs, and they'll find themselves in another hole and probably get out. But I do think Dan Quinn's going to leave after this year. He's been remarkable. He's done a really good job with that Dallas defense because if you remember before he got there, that was the problem was Dallas's defense was terrible, and now they're – really one of the best in the league so i do think he'll probably get a head coaching job in this next cycle yeah I, i'd be surprised too i know that as it happens for most guys it, it did end up in a firing atlanta they did go to the super bowl though um i can think of way less competent coaches to to get second and even third jobs than quinn uh so you know i i, I think that when you look at Yes, I understand they had Matt Ryan. We we can do the song and dance with every coach. Well, look at who they had. Well, yeah, it's what you do with what they have. And um, I still think that Quinn at least has a general idea that knows what he's doing. Again, I'm not going to say he's going to go somewhere and be elite. But, again, I, I think it's about some of these guys. Like, like I'm sorry, I, I think he's a better coach than Todd Bowles. Like, Todd Bowles should not have a job compared to Dan Quinn. They're, they're both defensive minds. Dan Quinn's a better coach. Uh, he is. And and I'll throw another in. He's, he's a better coach than Dennis Allen, period. He just is. Dennis Allen's not a good head football coach. So, uh, you know, I do think he deserves a, another job, and I think there's going to be a lot of openings in the league this year. I think, I think as Adam Schefter or somebody said that he thinks there's going to be nine or ten openings by the end of this thing. So, I, I do think the openings will be there. And if you're Seattle on the up, other side of this thing, Seattle has just a hell of a stretch. That loss to the Rams was big. It was really big because it initiates this stretch of after the Rams. It was the 49ers, who of course they've already lost to. Then at Dallas, at San Francisco, got to play them again. Then host Philadelphia. Guys, that could be uh, five straight L's by the end of that. Uh, it really could be. They could be sitting at this at 6-8, and eight, uh, walking in the Nashville against Tennessee. And then they, they'll still have the Steelers in one of those final couple weeks too. So that's not a, a home run game either now that Matt uh, Country above us is not coaching them. Uh, anymore and, and holding them back offensively. So, uh, His you know, last name's not Tim Hortons. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, so even though Pickett still struggles, I, I think that they clearly, 
you can't deny they never got 400 yards with him in the first game without him and the last game before him they both did you can't deny that it's a plus that he's not there so uh that, that's still going to be a tough game for seattle too if they don't get one of these they they'll they're going to miss the playoffs if they lose all those games they drop six and eight and they lose pittsburgh at eight nine i think they'll miss the playoffs so uh, that is that is a important stretch for them that, that they need to find one in. I still like Dallas though at home. You're right. Both both teams have normal weeks in a sense. They both have seven days between their games since they both played last Thursday. So good little scheduling job done by the NFL there. Uh, and, and but I but I like Dallas again. I, I think that Geno to me. I agree with you from last week, uh, TP. I think that he has. Return to the mean a little bit. I think he's still better than his Jets days. Like I, I wouldn't go all the way there, and also some of that's it was the Jets. Um, but but he's not quite been the same this year that he was last year. And so is he going to be the one to to dissect Dallas's defense? I, I don't feel that way. I think that you can get pressure on him. Dallas certainly is good at doing that, and then Dallas is certainly good at forcing turnovers. Looking at some other games. Uh, around the league and now or going on to Sunday at least. Uh, asked Joe Bartle of Rotowire about this one yesterday. Uh, Broncos-Texans was not on the radar early in the year as being an important game, or, nor a fun game especially. And both these teams are 6-5 and five with struggles from the Bills and the Bengals mainly. Uh, these two teams have every opportunity to end up in the AFC postseason here. Do you like one of these teams to make the playoffs in the AFC? And if so, which one? So I, I would have said if Matt Amendola was able to hit a 58-yard field goal and they were able to win in overtime over the Jags, I would say the Texans. But I think that's really tough now because now the Jags have a two-game lead over you and the Jags are looking really good and you kind of lost your spot there because if you would have won against the Jags, you would have been tied for first. And I believe they would have had – I believe they would have been in first technically because they, they beat the Jags earlier in the season. But missed the field goal. They waved him. No, Brooks, they didn't, he didn't wave back. But <laughs> I think uh, – yeah, I think the Texans are now in a pretty tough spot there. And the Broncos have looked really good. That, that was my thing about Sean Payton. I said, Sean Payton can get them going. I was like, they may not be good early. Now, did I expect 70 points on them? No, but I was, uh, I've always been a big believer in Sean Payton. I know he knows how to get good players and get the most out of his quarterbacks. So he's been doing really well there. And uh, I'm not surprised at all to see them do that good with him. And they're on uh, a long winning streak right now. And I think the Broncos are probably going to beat the. Uh, I think they're going to beat the Texans and uh, continue on their march and continue to be one of the hottest teams in the league right now. A couple weeks ago, before we had a a, a plague upon quarterbacks in the league, um, there was a, we were talking on this program on a Thursday about the possibility of the AFC North getting all four teams in the playoffs. Now there is a chance that they could still get three teams in the playoffs, but. There's also a chance that the AFC South gets three teams in the playoffs. You've got the Jaguars sitting right now in the division lead, which would put them in the playoffs. The Colts are on the seventh seed right now, and the Texans are, are sitting at eighth in the AFC. There's a chance the AFC South sneaks three teams into this playoffs, 
and you know, if you've told me to lay money down on that with, in Vegas at the beginning of the year, nope. wouldn't have done it. Yep, wouldn't, sure I'd, wouldn't I'd have. have. As they say with the Grinch, I would not have touched that with a 39-and-a-half-foot pole. <laughs> um, that is just it, – it's insane what, what the NFL is. This And, the, you know, you look at this matchup. I said the Texans are sitting at eight. The Broncos are sitting at nine right now. They're right neck-and-neck neck with each other right behind the Colts right there at, at, at seven. Um and, you know, again, I don't want to keep harping on this before going back into the game, but three AFC South teams right now are in better positions than the Buffalo Bills. Yep. Who would have said that at the beginning of the and year? And the Bengals, yep. It, it's not a, not, a, not a soul would have said that the Buffalo Bills would be sitting uh, in the 10 spot right now behind three AFC South teams. Um, so this is this is important. This game is really, really important. I think C.J. Stroud uh, is, a, is a guy that, you know, he's coming into the year and you, you didn't expect a lot from the Texans this year. You said, oh, it's another rebuilding year. Give Stroud a year to start, and then they'll start to pick things up next year. They've picked things up now. They said, no, we're not going to wait a year. We're going we're gonna to be in the playoff hunt this year. And so they've been playing really, really good football. The Broncos have started to figure things out. They're on the hunt for a playoff spot. Uh, and Russell Wilson has, has started to look better in that Sean Payton offense. Uh, it, it's it's really, really uh, – this, this is an intriguing game. Uh, honestly, this was the game, you know, Ryan, you asked – ask every single week if there's any other games that we uh, are going to bring you know want to look at if nobody had talked about this game if we didn't go into this uh, during the segment we talked about this game this was a game that I was going to bring up because I'm just so intrigued by it, it it's uh, one of these teams after this week is going to be sitting in a prime position to to make the playoffs next week I think it, right now uh, even though it's a it's a road game for or it's a home game uh, for the Texans, uh, I think the Texans are, are the team that I, I would favor in this one to come out on uh, on top. I, I will just add this quickly. It is crazy, even though they are six and five. It's crazy how much fun the Texans are to watch. They're kind. They're not in the Dolphins class, but they're getting there to where it's like they may not win every game, but they're becoming really fun to watch with their receiving core and their young quarterback. Yeah, no, I I, I agree. Houston, you can feel the momentum too from the fan base, even though they were not able to come back. Last week against Jacksonville, you can tell what losing does for a few years and how uh, desperate most of these franchises get to, to try and win and how much hope Stroud has brought to that. And again, like that roster, we're not going to revise what we think. That roster is still a lower half roster in the NFL. Like, that, like that's, still, that's still true. I, I know that they've had some breakouts at wide receiver and stuff, but it's not like you go – across their defense and say, hey, these these there's six pro bowlers here. Or you go on the offensive line and say, this is a top five offensive line. Like, no, it's still it still has its share of issues and yet they're winning anyway and making things very competitive. It's been a, a fun group to watch. And then Denver to be resurrected from the dead. I mean, after giving up five million points to the Dolphins, uh to to then be in a realistic playoff position with six games to go. Um, it, it is a, a staggering turnaround. It shows you that Russell Wilson, he's not what he was, but that he was not as bad as he was last year. It was He's something in between. Peyton started to get that out of him. And Sean Peyton's just always, in my opinion, been a very competent head coach. So uh, they have they have done a good job of improving that. Do they end up in the playoffs? I still took kind of trend towards no. Uh, there's so many teams around that six and five number and, and and only one of that group right now can get in unless Pittsburgh or Cleveland really fall apart uh, but but you know I, I think that there there's still success stories to be found all up and down there the middle 
of the AFC. Let's grab another phone call here on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line, 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free, 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Next up on the program, Michael from Auburn. Michael is with us. Michael, how are you today? Doing well, guys. I called a little earlier in the season uh, asking about uh, bowl game projections and said it would be very curious if uh, Auburn got pitted up against UCF. At the time, it was going to take kind of a miracle for UCF to pull it out, but they did. Uh, and so they're sitting at 6-6. Six and six. I just thought that may be an interesting bowl game matchup. Currently, I see us projected to play Duke in the uh, – the Mayo Bowl, yes. the Duke's Mayo Bowl. Uh, so what do you think about that matchup? What do you think about a potential uh, Riley Leonard, Fairhope guy, potentially either North, um, here in you know Notre Dame, but his girlfriend, I think, goes to Auburn, so there is some ties there. Curious of your guys' thoughts on that with a, a potential bowl game matchup against Duke. And then my last uh, kind of question there, I guess, is just uh, what's the quarterback room going to look like next year? You know, with guys possibly transferring out, I imagine we're going to lose some, but bring some in, what that looks like. Sure. Uh, So uh, let's start with the the bowl game there. I think that with uh, UCF becoming bowl eligible, although that uh, that is a good return there for UCF, it just doesn't match up with Auburn and and the bowl slots for the SEC to play UCF. It would have needed to be the Gasparilla Bowl, Uh, and I think that's probably the bowl UCF ends up in anyway. Uh, But Auburn, because there's only nine SEC bowl-eligible teams, they're going to be somewhere in that Music City, Dukes, Mayo, Texas Bowl range. There's not enough bowls to fill down to the Birmingham Bowl or the or the uh, Gasparilla Bowl. So I think something like Music City or Dukes, Mayo is very likely. Um, as for I, I know you asked the, about the quarterback room. Uh, I, I think that Robbie Ashford's the one that we all just kind of target as I, I would think for the world he'll end up transferring. Uh, I just I don't see his role ever really increasing here again. I think the writing's on the wall in terms of that. And because of that, I mean, look, I think that you're, you are bringing in Walker White, but I think Auburn should not just be resigned to the fact, although I think that Thornton did some uh, – Peyton Thornton did some fi- – Fine things. I, I think that you've got to look at if there's a if there's a game changing quarterback out there like a Cam Ward, like a Riley Leonard. You, you have to look into that. And I do have some hesitations about Leonard. I think the passing was a little concerning this year. He was banged up throughout the majority of the year, uh, but the, the the passing numbers were not something that is going to be great uh, if it were to duplicate at Auburn. So he is a really good runner. Uh, and he did lead a team that was kind of an underdog team that did have what a good bit of success. But uh, the passing stuff with Riley Leonard is something that I would really want to want to look at uh, into more detail. Yeah, I appreciate the time, guys. That's all I had. Absolutely, Michael. We appreciate the phone call. That is Michael from Auburn joining us on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. Yeah, again, the, the transfer quarterbacks here, and there, there's several of them. I mean, they're – they, they, Leonard's the first one to really have the big Auburn buzz in terms of interest and 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 uh, reciprocating reciprocating interest. Uh, I think that it is between Notre Dame and, and Auburn, as Michael said. Um, and you know, again, if he comes here, I'm not saying that. Oh, I just think it's just a complete disappointment or no shot at it, but I, ju- I don't think he's the cream of the crop in the transfer class. Let me just put it that way. And 
I don't see any reason that a couple of these other guys like Cam Ward or Will Howard wouldn't fit either. Now, Will Howard is kind of similar to Riley Leonard. Uh, he runs the ball pretty effectively. His passing is fine. It's not elite. Um, it gives you a chance, and I think that's where, where I would rate Riley Leonard's passing is it gives you a chance, but it's not a home run. Uh, and, and so that's just why I'm attracted to Cam Ward. Again, it might be the revisionist history, or not revisionist history, but the recent history of just knowing that the throwing here has not been good. And, and we've had some some dynamic athletes playing quarterback or at least guys that were made better functioning as a runner than a passer. And I'm just kind of ready to see it the other way around. But it's not like Cam Ward can't run either. He doesn't have robust rushing titles. He takes he takes his fair share of sacks. But I think he had seven or eight rushing touchdowns this year. So he's absolutely a guy that they will use uh, in those short yarding situations. But when you average 300 yards a game on 66% and have a, a solid TD to INT ratio, you know that's that's going to pique my interest with what we've seen uh, the last couple of years. Anything you guys want to add uh, from that phone call, Michael? Before we take our next break, yeah, you know uh, the the thing that I'd comment on would be the, the bowl game. I, I think it'd be really really interesting if Auburn would got paired up with uh, UCF, and I know that was one that we were looking at earlier in the year um, uh, as a as a possibility. Uh, at this point, you know, like you said, Ryan, it doesn't look like that's going to happen because it would have to really it would have to either be the Gasparilla Bowl, or it would be that uh, that Texas Bowl with with which is a SEC Big Twelve. But from all you know, everything that's pointing that way, that's where the uh, that's where if Oklahoma State loses the Big Twelve championship game, that looks like where they could be destined for. So UCF's not high enough up that uh, that Big Twelve rankings uh, to get to that Texas Bowl. And so you know, like uh, like it was pointed out uh, from Michael, the the Duke's Mayo Bowl uh, versus Duke. I've also seen Duke and UCF matched up in that Gasparilla Bowl um, from uh, Brett McMurphy of the Action Network. Uh, the one that I've been seeing a lot for from him has been that Wisconsin and Music City Bowl, or versus Wisconsin in the Music City Bowl. Was it not Duke UCF last year? Was that not the bowl game last year? Because um, two years ago, one of these years it was UCF Florida and UCF beat them. Yeah, but I felt like UCF Duke was the other game. It was hold on. It 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 was, but it was not in the Gasparilla Bowl. It was the uh, wasn't it the Armed Forces Bowl? I thought it was in the Belk Bowl or something like that. I mean, yeah. but so, I'm just saying, like repeat bowl matchup offenders back to back years. If it is, it was last years, year. Um, so right. this will load. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was the the Armed Forces Bowl up in Annapolis. That's right. Can you uh, do that? I mean, was, I know you can. I'm sure. Being, I'm, I'm I mean, Iowa and Kentucky did it uh, the last two years. They did. They did. Yeah. Yuck. So it can happen. <laughs> Different bowl games. <laughs> But they, they matched up together. Okay. All so right. I, I would like to throw my hat into this. Uh, if Auburn, you know, I, I have seen a lot of the Auburn versus Wisconsin. And I would, if you're an Auburn fan, you want that matchup. I know people are like, oh, but Wisconsin is the bowl kryptonite of Auburn. Yeah, well, this isn't the same Wisconsin because I, I, I've seen a lot of Big Ten football this season. I will say, and I've looked at the numbers. Wisconsin's rushing defense is like in the 90s, and Auburn is really good at running the football. So if you want a better matchup, you'd want to face Wisconsin. And since Tanner Mordecai, their starting quarterback who they got from SMU, he broke his hand. He's out indefinitely. I doubt he'll play in that bowl game. Their offense has been horrible. Braylon Allen, their really good running back, declared for the NFL draft. I doubt he'll play in there. I think Auburn would really roll the Badgers in that bowl game. The team that I would not want to face is Northwestern because they are really fired up right now. It had a great season, immense 
horrible, horrible situation in July. Uh, interim coach comes in there. You know, players can transfer and all that comes in there and win seven games, went seven and five, um, you know, a three-point loss to Iowa. And, uh, you know, things could change if they had won that game. So I, if I was an Auburn fan, I definitely want to face the Badgers, and I certainly wouldn't want to face Northwestern right now. Aren't they all three-point losses to Iowa? <laughs> yeah. Three to six, yeah. yeah, stuff like that. Nine, you know, it's just – Hard to lose by more when they only – Iowa only scores 10 or 14. <laughs> you know it's bad whenever they set the over-under at 24-and-a-half, and it still hits. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, but uh, yeah, Northwestern uh, going from one win to seven wins that year. That's a real uh, sports person of the year there, uh, over there at North uh, Northwestern. Anyway, uh, I think, oh. uh, well, you know, I, I think everyone knows what I'm referring to. Maybe the AI got it. Uh, <laughs> maybe that was the AI pre pre written article. Uh, but yeah, I, and one aside on UCF, by the way, I think the no brainer for them is playing USF and the Gasparilla Bowl. They're, they're two programs that always have had a, a little rivalry there. It's the Tampa versus Orlando dynamic. Uh, and they, they even have a nice name for it. It's called the War on I-4. I've driven I-4. If you've driven I-4 from Orlando to Tampa, you know what I'm talking about. It is an absolute war just to get from one side <laughs> to the other. Uh, so I, I, I went from uh, a Magic game over to Tampa last year and I mean, the, the, it was a seven thirty Eastern game. It ended at ten. So I was on I four from Orlando, Tampa, from like ten thirty Eastern to twelve thirty Eastern. Oh no, it ain't nothing calm about midnight on I four. Uh, not not a not a damn thing. So uh, anyway, they they need to since they're since they are doing the Oklahoma Oklahoma State dance currently and being too bitter to play each other because of being in different conferences. Uh, I want to see that in the bowl game. I, I think that makes sense for those two schools. They're both six and six, and just play the rivalry game in the bowl game since they didn't do it uh, in the regular year. But uh, yeah, I think Auburn, Destin. I actually read uh, Matt Cohen of AL dot com. Uh, he had a call with the Music City Bowl, and uh, they had very, very good things to say about Auburn. That almost made me think that uh, that that might end up being the destination. And Auburn last went there in 2018. Uh, when they uh, again blew the boil boilers off the boilermakers, so uh, we'll we'll see if it's again it could be Duke's Mayo, it could be Texas Bowl, but maybe I'm leaning a little bit towards it's going to end up being the Music City Bowl, but we shall see. We're going to take our next time out of the show. When we come back, we'll wrap up uh, some NFL discussion and start to wrap up this Thursday edition of Sports Call on Tiger ninety five point nine. is on the air weekdays from 3 until 6 p.m. If you're currently driving in a four-door sedan, roll up the windows and turn up the radio. We're Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show. I'm Deshaun Davis, former Auburn Tigers football player and all-SEC linebacker. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9.
Welcome back to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Brooks Childress, T.P. Hammock with you here on this Thursday. Starting to run a little bit lower on time on the show today. Tomorrow, another full three-hour show. We'll be previewing all the big-time conference championship games. Sorry, we'll not be doing much of a Mac preview tomorrow. Oh, uh, oh. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, I mean, protest here, but I will. <laughs> I think we're going to keep it to mainly SEC, ACC, Big Twelve, Big Ten, Pac Twelve. Might sprinkle in a little Troy since they're in the Sun Belt. That's that's uh, you know maybe an ounce of AAC. It's just like just five no conference pebbles. USA. Uh, not my conference anymore, TP. Not my conference. I know, I know. <laughs> but anyway, so conference championship games will be on the agenda tomorrow. Want to have a couple more minutes on the NFL here before uh, we run out of time. We hit on a couple of games uh, on the in the first segment of the hour, but the the biggest game of the weekend, uh, clearly Philadelphia and San Francisco Eagles still at ten and one. And Joe mentioned this too yesterday, and I noticed it. San Francisco is the favorite on the road uh, by three points. Uh, 49ers coming in, though, clearly playing better after that little losing streak. I think they now won three in a row after losing three in a row. Uh, So, I mean, where are we at the power struggle here, top of the NFC, still firmly on the Philly bandwagon? Or is San Francisco going to uh, rise up here and and give us a deep conversation for – the playoffs in January. I, I think San Francisco is going to beat them. I really do. I've not been that impressed with this Philadelphia team. I really haven't. I mean, going into the fourth quarter or in the beginning of the fourth quarter, Jalen Hurts had like 93 passing yards. Like it was very unimpressive, and they were able to rally back and win. But it, I, I do think San Francisco is going to win as they're getting healthier and they're getting better. I know it's looking like more and more like Brock Purdy's getting better or he's getting more back into the way that we saw him late last year and early this year so i i i'm not i haven't been impressed with philadelphia and um i think this game's gonna be a wake-up call and maybe this will get them going but uh yeah they keep winning all these close games it's not like the vikings last year where we kind of eternally knew they were frauds but i'm not saying that at all i'm not comparing the eagles to the vikings of last year but i'm just saying that i how many close games can you really win because at the end of the day this is the nfl it's almost just going to beat you just because they have a better day, and they may just they they may not have the better team, but they may have the better day. So, I think the 49ers are going to beat them, and I think uh, I think the Eagles will be fine for the rest of the season. But uh, I'm really interested to see how their uh, playoff aspirations will uh, transpire. Yeah, the San Francisco kind of hit a rough patch here uh, a couple weeks ago. They they seem to have righted the ship a little bit. AJ Brown for the Eagles is questionable right now. Uh, for uh, for Philadelphia, the thing about it is though Philadelphia hadn't lost a game at home yet this year, five and zero at home, um, and so I, I think that you know I think that carries something. You're you're getting a team traveling across the country. It's going to be cold. Uh, it, it's going it, to it's you know that, that northeast weather uh, this time of year is never never the best. Um, and so I think San Francisco's got a chance to pull off, pull this win out. Uh, but I, I kind of like the upset. I kind of like Philadelphia getting the win at, at home and continuing to, to play some of these close games and win some of these close games. Uh, it, it just feels like that, that team right now is, is really, you know, is cohesive. When, you, when they get into a, a situation where it's a one-score game, they find a way to win. Does that ever bother you when the higher-ranked team or better record team is viewed as the underdog? Like, like, I because I know you used upset there, 
and you go off the spread, and that's 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 totally fair. That's a that's a valid line of thinking. I can't process the ten and one team, the number one seed right now, that beat them last year at home, being an underdog. Like I just I wouldn't view that as an upset. I can't like I just can't wrap my brain around that. Now, if Hertz was out. You know that's different, and also, I, I mean, I guess I don't think of upsets too much at the professional levels, just because they're all professionals, and you know, we we understand that the the margins are not as big as in college. But I just, again, it goes into what Joe said too a little bit yesterday. I I, I am genuinely shocked, and the 49ers might go out there win and, and flex and be like, yeah, regardless of the record, we're the best team right now in the NFC. They they might very well do that, but. I think you've got to show a, a, at least an ounce of respect to the team that has found a way to beat 10-1, knowing they do have, and this is where I differ a little more in college, I get a little less interested mm. in your team from the previous year because, okay, 20 to 30 things changed about it, at least. Uh, and and maybe you were fortunate enough to have a lot of returning starters, but like it had to. It was mandated. They ran out of eligibility. Someone went pro. You had to change. In the NFL and these pro leagues, you can bring back most of the same guys, uh, and you can have it have your top twelve or fourteen players might all be the same top twelve or fourteen players. Like Phil, like Philly did not change much about their team last year. They added uh, from this year to last year, they added one or two defensive guys, and that's really about it. It still hurts. It's still Brown. It's still Smith on that offense. It's still Kelsey anchoring the line. Like it, it, it's fundamentally the same team. So that's why I give a little bit more stock in year to year. Now, again, guys regress, progress. There's variables. It's never that simple. And that's why, as you said earlier in the first segment of this hour, the AFC South is so, so shocking, but it's been fun. Uh, there's been a lot of surprising things there. But I just think that the Eagles, having had the year they had last year, and then being 10 and 1 this year, I just think that. It is a different case than something like you know Minnesota from last year, and I I I I respect them enough to say yeah on their home field there shouldn't be underdogs to really anybody at this stage in the year. So I, I mean I, again I, I I I'm going to take Philly in a close one being at home. If San Francisco wins, fine. I mean that that's not going to shock me. I think on a neutral field, San Francisco has been playing a little bit better late, but. Clearly, at eight and three, they're not invincible. They had a, a rough three weeks, and Purdy was not looking great. Now he's looking great again. He's, his weapons are healthy, and and that might sustain him through. But uh, I, I just, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm curious again. I know lines are also be- best on how they're going to make money and how you're going to give them the money and and that sort of things. Well, I'd be tricked into giving the money this weekend. I'll go ahead and 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 tell you that. Anything else, guys? Staying out about the NFL real quickly this weekend before we head to our final timeout. Yeah, I think there's a, I think there's a few games that kind of catch my eyes. We already talked about the Broncos Texans. I want to. There's two that I'm interested to see. Um, I'm definitely interested to see the Chiefs versus the Packers. It looks like Jordan Love's really coming alive. I uh, didn't expect that. He was kind of bad to start the year, but now he's uh, he's got a really good chance to go and face you know Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs in Green Bay. So I think if they win that game, they could really submit themselves as like, hey, you know, we started off bad, but you know we can really rally this thing together. In the second game. Sorry, Ryan. It's the Bucks versus the Panthers. Now, you may that may have just blown out your eardrums just because of how horrible that matchup is. But 
I'm interested to see how the Panthers do after firing Frank Wright because one of y'all brought up the record. Both. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) both. both. Records after, like, uh, firing a head coach, like, interim. First week for the interim. Yeah, Yeah, first week. It's eight and two, right? Yeah, believe so. So will that record continue? I'm not sure. I know that they promoted Chris Tabor, uh, I believe is our special teams coordinator, and he's facing off against the Bucks. And uh, is Baker going to play in that? I know he yes. got rolled up. Okay, yes. no, he will. Yep. So Baker's going to play. It's in Tampa. Ryan, our very own Ryan Lavoy, will be there as a fan. But uh, I'm interested to see if the Panthers can continue um, and make it nine and two, or if the Bucks are just going to destroy the Panthers. I'm not sure what's going to happen though. I'll tell you what. Next Bucks loss, season's over. So uh, if they go ahead and bow out to the Panthers. Uh, we start talking top five pick level uh, <laughs> to finish off this year because there's still a path as terrible as the NFC South is for Tampa. If they win these next two weeks, they beat Carolina and then they beat Atlanta, avenge the loss from earlier this year, get to six and seven. Well, then they've automatically tied Atlanta there. Uh, and then they would have an opportunity later in the year to get the full-fledged tiebreaker on the Saints because they already beat them. So the path is still there. You, you should never be talking about a four and seven team with still a, a real path, but but they have one. Uh, but they're they're also four and seven, and yeah, Carolina could still totally win that game. The other game that I'm I'm interested in is the one that we're going to have right here on our airwaves. The the Falcons and the Jets. Um, uh, you know, the Falcons they they had that losing streak a few for a few weeks, and they righted the ship a little bit against the Saints this past week. Uh, the offense looked a little bit more uh, cohesive. The they they looked a little. Uh, it looked like Arthur Smith used some of his weapons a little bit better this past week. The the interesting thing here is I know it's the Jets, and I know they haven't been great this year, but the Falcons are only one and four away from the Bins. It's atrocious uh, the uh, record away from uh, home turf, and so can they overcome those demons and uh, and, and go into a, a struggling New York Jets team and, and get a win there and, and kind of continue to try to build toward toward winning a an NFC South uh, a title? That that's going to be uh, intriguing to watch this weekend. We're going to take one final time out of this Thursday edition of Sports Call. When we come back, we'll wrap things up with a nightly TV guide presented by White Claw Hard Seltzer. You're listening to the Thursday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Don't want to call into the show? Send us your thoughts via email. You've got mail. Sports Call at the Tiger.fm. We're done paying the bills. Now back to Sports Call on Tiger Back to Sports Call on this Thursday, Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, TP Hammock, Brooks Childress with you. If you missed anything at all today, go back and check it out on the Sports Call podcast, which is presented by Coca Cola, available wherever you may get your podcast. Final minute or two of the show today, time for Nightly TV Guide. Our show is about to end, but we've got you covered on entertainment for the evening. Here's Sports Call's Nightly TV Guide. 
Sports Calls Nightly TV Guide presented by White Claw, Hard Seltzer, Brooks, what do we have? Uh, your movie picks for this evening on uh, the final night of November, uh, November 30th. Uh, you got Ace Ventura 2, When Nature Calls, starting things off at 6 o'clock on VH1. Jim Carrey Classic. Uh, anybody else seen uh, Ace Ventura? I've not seen the second one. I've seen most of the first I one. I have not seen that either. Man, it's a great movie. Uh, he goes to Africa. He gets, like birthed out of the back of a robot rhino it's great it's hilarious sorry what yeah you have to go watch it (laughs) well now i have to yeah uh also six o'clock on hbo sg it's legally blonde uh starring reese witherspoon if you're uh more into the the uh the law fit flicks um and then your sports picks no i haven't watched enough of the 700 episodes of law and order that have come (laughs) on so need movie law now uh, your movie, or your, your, you got me thrown off now. The <laughs> the sports picks for you this evening. The uh, ACC SEC challenge continues tonight on the women's side of things, starting things off six o'clock on ESPN. Number one, South Carolina visits a, a top twenty-five North Carolina squad. Uh, also six o'clock ESPN two, Arkansas visits a top twenty-five Florida State team. Uh, also in the uh, elsewhere in women's college basketball, Baylor visits SMU. Then at 8 o'clock, Virginia Tech visits LSU, the defending national champions hosting the Hokies. Some golf action for you tonight at 7 o'clock on Golf Channel. It is the DP World Tour ISPS Honda Australian Open. Uh, you got some men's college basketball at 8 o'clock on ESPN with Creighton versus Oklahoma State. You got some soccer action on Telemundo uh, from Liga MX as Guadalajara takes on Unam, and of course, in the women's college basketball tonight, inside Neville Arena, uh, 8 o'clock on the SEC Network, Auburn takes on Clemson. Clemson knocked Auburn out of the WNIT last year to finish up the year. Auburn's looking for revenge in the challenge tonight. And that is your Nightly TV Guide brought to you by friends at White Claw Hart Seltzer. Thank you very much for that, Brooks, and I hope you have a uh, wonderful evening, and we'll talk to you again on the show tomorrow. See you then. And TP Hammock, thank you for being here today, and uh, we'll see you again next week. Big activities for you in the next seven or eight days, but we'll see you again next week. Thank you, as always. Uh, That will do it for the program today. As always, we appreciate everyone that tuned in and called in, and we appreciate Cole Pinkston of On3 for joining us on the show today as well. For Brooks Childress and TP Hammock, my name is Ryan LaVoy. Have a great Thursday night, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow.